0: Hello everyone. This is Jose with the O3XX series. Today's special guest, Tyler and I, interview Mark Mosier, retired Master Sergeant, United States Marine Corps, and his longtime friend and business partner, Phil. Both Mark and Phil have an extensive background in the Special Operations community, with nearly 70 years of combined experience. I'm
1: having this uh, pain. Just below my navel, I don't know what that is. And uh, so I said, okay, let's monitor that. You know, about 1600 that afternoon, he was sitting in my recliner back here. I said, okay, it must be appendicitis at least. And then, of course, after that, I started going the other direction, thinking about, okay, oncology, is that where we're headed here? And uh, by the next morning, he couldn't even get out of bed. Mm. So... We took him to the emergency room around 11 a.m. that morning. I got a call sometime around uh, 4 to 5 p.m. that afternoon that he was going into surgery. And then uh, I got the recovery call at about 9.15 that night. Damn. Yeah, he was was in ICU for six straight days, stepped down for one day, and then they put him back in a general population. And then all the young nursing creatures were just... Loving on him for like the next two. You <laughs> don't want to leave. And I was like, you got to get out, man. You know, it's time to get back at PT at the ranch. And it's time for us to start eating better than this, you know.
0: Hey, we'll Mark King we'll
1: come out.
2: <laughs> so oh, well that's, that, yeah, that's good to hear. They took care of that. I mean, that's.
1: Oh, gosh. I, and, you know, there's, there's so many moving parts in processing through the VA system. Um, you know, I, 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 can go into that a little bit and, and guys need to learn this stuff, man, when we're giving each other support. Um, I, I, really, um, I think the peer support piece that you guys are going after is, is one thing, but on the other end of the spectrum, you definitely need to learn how to be a service officer and, and learn how to navigate the bureaucracy of, of the VA, especially the health healthcare system, who to talk to. And then make sure that you've got a good, strong advocate, just in case they decide to start dragging their feet while somebody's dying. You know what I mean? And uh, that, that's not cool to feel that way. But then again, I've gone through that practice many times over. And so I went straight into action. We were able to go ahead and and bridge the the information gap between California VA system and Texas healthcare system with an, Uh, an intervention from an outstanding caseworker here uh, in California. I mean, this woman did not let up. You want to talk about a female pit bull, but as gentle as they come, she took it all in, you know, and part of why he's still here today is because she took the ball and just ran with it. You know,
3: she, she's, you couldn't ask for better, man. Could not have asked for better. Pam was, was awesome in the process. I mean, she, she put shit together that probably most people couldn't put together or navigate through. So
1: at all this, it was really technical administration that we had to do and we solved the problem. Number one, I went straight to patient advocates in both States and and left information about him, even though I didn't have power of attorney or anything else like that. Of course, it always has to go there. Well, we can't help you unless, you know, I said, I tell you what, I'll do. I'll call the national advocate of disabled American veterans, and we'll lobby this at the secretary level, and let you guys take whatever ends up at the bottom of the hill where you are. How about that? And that started getting people moving and grooving and asking questions, and then all of a sudden, there it is with Pam, and off she went. So, yeah, so they
2: so basically you like low key threaten them. And then is when they, they, so is it like a a case manager that they assign to the situation? Or I, I mean, as far as if you were, if you were to tell somebody that's going in there with a potentially life life or life threatening situation.
1: Yeah. yeah, Everybody needs a buddy. Okay. And even though you don't want to, drop 75 bucks to join VFW or DAV or whatever the case might be as a social measure for yourself. You need a battle buddy. You know, you need somebody to back you up going into these things. Um, you know, because he's a bachelor, I'm a bachelor, right? I live in California. He lives in San Antonio, Texas. He's got some close contacts and I've got a tenant on my ranch that helps me a lot, you know, so you got to build that network. Luckily, Something else came of it as well last Friday, um, out of the blue, sitting there watching some YouTube videos, and a Mighty Oaks thing comes up on YouTube, you know, and I listened to this, it was a Bible thing that was going on between uh, a couple of the leaders, and so I decided to go take a look at some of the personalities in the organization, just so happens the uh, religious leader of that nonprofit lives right here in town. You know, so I reached out to that guy, emailed him. Next thing I know, I got another Marine contact to me who happened to be a CH-53 pilot, lives here locally as well, and also one of the leaders of that nonprofit, went into immediate action to, to give me some backup. So that's all I'm saying is stack them three or four deep. Make sure you got a battle buddy. And uh, if you do know that you got, you know, some type of health issue or you suspect it, get checked. We're old guys. We got to get that colonoscopy every five years. <laughs>
2: get the oil, get the oil
1: hey, check. Yeah,
3: yeah. My uh my uh, primary caregiver is going to be happy because when I talk talk to Doctor Goldhammer, you know, I'll say, "Okay, you win every year. You want me to go through that crap? I will." Yeah. <laughs> but first and foremost, I got to get healed before they can do that. Yeah,
1: I mean, the hardest part is to drink that five gallons of I don't know what the heck they feed you and just blast you out and you know i'd I'd rather have like a coffee anima or something like that instead (laughs) you know at least i'd be stimulated and i'd be happy about it you know
3: yeah if you haven't had one man you don't want to drink that juice because that stuff does make you throw up literally uh, but you gotta chug it man you just gotta (laughs) chug it you gotta grit it and chug it
2: all right it's it's interesting you know we're touching on this because me and me and jose just had we were had a conversation yesterday evening on the phone and we were kind of talking about, you know, we're, we're mid thirties guys, you know, and how our bodies are feeling. And, um, you know, you bringing up the part about having a guy, having, having people in your life, battle buddies, or people that know your situation that are kind of attached to what you're doing. I'm sure, especially now, as you, as you age out in those service connected issues, start popping up, you know, um, I'm sure you guys are obviously both, both seeing it and dealing with things that are related to your time in, or, or maybe not, you know, maybe there, there can't be a direct link, um, to what may have caused certain shit going on with you, but, um, yeah, just, and I think too, like guys that are, are separated, we we've touched on this before, like, you know, they kind of isolate themselves cause they don't know where to go. They don't know who to be in their own bubble, you know, cause they're so used to having that unit, that camaraderie and con- connection, you know, things like this in our hopes are, are to make guys want to reach out and reconnect and reunite that, that same type of, you know, a feeling like, Hey, you got my fucking back. I'm about to go in for this op. Like,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I don't know how it's going to, I don't know how it, it's going to go, but I just want you to know about it. And um, yeah, I, th- I think coming from you alls standpoint, you know, you're, you're seeing things and dealing with things differently years and years and years down the road. And, you know, Don't
1: wait, man. Don't wait. Don't wait. Yeah. Don't, if, if don't wait. A- it's, it's like that old uh, Kenny Chesney song, you know, just don't. 100 years goes by before you know it. And it's like, what the heck? Boom, it's over with. Telling Jose, he brought up he's 33 now. And so I know where I was when I was 33, and I know what was wrong with me when I was 33, and when I was 43, and when I was 53. I just turned 60 this year, you know, and uh, I don't let up, but it, I'm not 23 anymore. I'm not 33 or 43 anymore, but I have all that wisdom. Behind me, the the experience, and uh, I would rather talk to younger folks and let them know, especially coming from, you know, allied health, that here's what I've learned, okay? And this is what you're telling me, and I would recommend that you go get that examined. And if it causes a lifestyle change, it's probably to extend your longevity rather than to decrease the probability that, you know, you're going to be around less than five years. That, yeah. that, that's something i care about a lot
3: yeah what i've gone through requires me to make a choice that choice is continue to do what i've been doing or make a lifestyle change for the better for my life for the future and that's you know there, to me there, it's not a a question it's already a decision that's been made now i'm putting action behind mm-hmm. it day after day after day because you know what um life's too short you never know what's going to hit you how it's going to hit you when it's going to hit you but you know this is kind of a wake up call in many different aspects and we won't get into that today for me ab- about me what i'm thinking but it is imperative that for me i need to make these changes so that one this doesn't ever happen again and two i can live a uh healthier hopefully a longer life that you know that's for another day, another
1: story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. you know, one of the things you guys will experience by the time you start hitting your 40s, you know, without the right uh supplements and eating the right way and, and getting the proper sleep Viagra. and all that stuff. Viagra is one you know <laughs> way way to look at things, but that causes some really super increased blood pressure as well. And uh but your, your T's going to fall about 42, you know, and nine 11 happens around the time Mark's about 42 years old. And I'm like, I'm going to this shit. I'm going to do this, you know, and I got to figure out some way to stop dragging my butt. I was a reservist at the time I had gotten off of active duty and, uh, spent a little time in the North Carolina army, Na- army national guard. I wanted to go to Bosnia, uh, Nothing happened for two years, so I cross-decked back into the Marine Corps Reserve, and uh, 9-11 happens, you know. But at that time, I'm running um, a staffing agency in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm also doing uh, part-time work, doing uh, uh, installations of, uh, what do you call, point-of-sale systems and back-office migrations and things like that for AutoZone. And also I'm the operations chief for fourth maintenance battalion. And I've got probably about a thousand people, 12 geographically separated sites all over the United States. So I'm on a traveling roadshow doing ATFP officer work too. Okay. So I was, I, I stressed myself to the absolute mass and raising a family while my wife was all over the United States doing her work uh, in healthcare as well. You know, so, and, and we had a, uh, Uh, a mother-in-law that lived with us too, who was uh, on dialysis, ill. So we were under some serious pressure. And, you know, I want to tell you guys something that um, in your life's planning, because where I live right now, I'm here primarily because my uncle can't be anymore. He's too old and got dementia, you know. So our family is filling in for each other now. We've learned that it's teamwork. We've also had a death in our family in the last two days recently as well. You know, and so I'm really working on my nephews right now because they're the strong male leaders of our family in a rural town, you know, and so that's who I'm depending on when I start to crow, you know, that you they're, they're right. gonna they're gonna learn a lot from me and I'm gonna pass the torch and they're gonna do very well with the rest of their lives, regardless. That that's how I see it, and, and that's the same lineage that we learn in camaraderie in the Marine Corps. Is it not? Esprit de corps. And sometimes we we get to that level of Elon in teamwork. We're like, did we just do that or what? And look at all the dead bodies behind us and none of them are us, you know? So that's those are the things that I put into my leadership model. You know, it could be a football team and coach. It could be you know, world-class hockey team and coach. But those are contact sports that are similar to what we learned in the military. So those intangibles have got to be continuously in mind and practice. Look, he's got a ranger shirt on. You know what he was thinking the whole entire time when he was in ICU? What we learned in Seer school and in ranger school. He knew he was fucked up, but you know what? He was always looking ahead and how do I plan my way out of this thing? You know, even though it was out of control, he was still open-minded enough to learn what happened, where's it going and how am I going to get the right healing? So, you know, that process kind of thinking, you know what I mean? And sometimes it goes in cycles and you got to realize you're, you're in a cycle and it could be a slow one this time and check in and go, Hey man, thank you, Lord. I don't care how adverse this is or how joyous this is. I just got to give thanks and drive on. And then of course there we are, you know, bedside with this guy telling him stories and jokes and stuff like that. Like, Get out of here. I can't take it anymore. You know, I, I was telling him a stupid story this morning at first recon time. We used to do these evasion exercises. And this one particular evasion exercise, you know, I don't, we, we rappelled in at Camp Pendleton, Red Beach. And then we had these weird freaking routes that we had to take through the mountains and everybody came out of the mountains. Injured, ill, covered with poison oak, you know, dragging. And uh we all agreed at Chow after that whole thing was over that everybody had assembled us, so and we called it the March of Dimes. Because we were all crippled by the time we got finished with that thing, man. It was nasty. You know? I was
3: howling, man. It hurt too. Yeah, but, man. Humor's good, man. You gotta have some humor in your life. If you don't, if you're not laughing, you're not living, man. Yeah. I don't care. I've, I've gone through a lot of pain these last couple of weeks, man. And he's still making me laugh. And I tell him to stop but it, because it's painful, but it's funny as shit. So you know, he's doing the right thing by motivating me, man.
1: Yeah. In that complimentary and alternative medicine side of the house, meditation, humor, uh, a variety of herbal remedies, whatever works for you. Uh, nice expressing artistry you know whatever talent you have express it if you can't explain what what the pain is about then you got to get in there and and make something up and then of course what we're doing right now is cathartic as well you know
2: yeah for sure i mean i just want I, i talked to rare a little bit about how you became this figure in his life because obviously you know if you know the man like i do um he he doesn't uh he doesn't carry bad company and so he's kind of telling me a little bit of your your background and shared your um what was it your year 0 article um which i was pretty amazed by i just finished it today and um i i think with you guys you know both of you having the backgrounds that you did um and then kind of going through this life process of where you're aging out and you were at one point in your life, this, you know, specimen of a, of an individual, then aging through all these ailments and issues and stuff you're dealing with, you know, I, I would say it's not fair to say that that the both of you aren't equipped to be able to deal with any kind of circumstance that's thrown at you. But I mean, certain ones like this, for example, are ones that you may not have pictured happening, you know. It's always that. It's always that underlying sleeper that kind of yeah. gets you—the one you don't plan for. Um,
1: so this year in February, we lost an old dear friend, a guy named Nick Reyna. He was gonna restart when he retired. He also had a twenty-year uh, uh, career in law enforcement up in Montana. He was a sheriff's deputy up there, but he was one of the hottest commodities in the state of Montana when it came down to SWAT operations and the like, you know, he, he worked in the Academy and he was, he was the lead instructor for the state of Montana in all those things because of his direct action training over the years, his ability to do undercover stuff from a force reconnaissance, reconnaissance specific background. And then not only that, standing on his two legs of being a very well qualified infantryman before he made that, you know, that crossover into the recon community. And I was one of the people that brought him into the community. Matter of fact, Jose knows about my friend, uh, Sergeant Major John Bell. They call him the Habu, right? Yeah, he's a bad dude. And uh, so I was acting platoon sergeant at the time. And John ends up introducing me to Nick. So we take him on this wild run, you know, up the side of this mountain. We were stationed in Hawaii at the time. And uh, so – Nick's just trudging up the top of the hill. And then John and I get down to the backside of the hill, and there's a dead dog laying there, right? And John's like, let's just wait, man, until he gets close, and then we'll pretend like it's Night of the Living Dead on this dog, man, you know? And so we went crazy with this, this dead dog. And Nick's coming down the hill. And he's just like, boop, boop, <laughs> you know? And what are you guys doing? And we're like, ah, we're just messing with you, man. Drive on, dude. And we just kept on going and he, he he said is that what it's like in the unit and we're like uh just wait till your 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 very first uh field day you'll see what we're like <laughs> on field day okay and he made the end doc and joined the unit and it used to be three decks of three platoons just knocking the living shit out of each other you know for like four or five hours people were getting thrown off decks and stuff like that you got guys the boots, we'd hang them off a spy rig naked and stuff like that. You know, I mean, we were some hazing fools back in those days, man. And, uh, but that it ain't
3: legal today. It,
1: it ain't legal at all. You know, I, I was having this texting thing with, uh, a guy named Carlos Duches, the chief warrant officer five retired. Right. But you know, back in the day, Carlos was in third first Marines at first Marine regiment. Okay. We're talking like 1980 and, uh, so they started the UDP program and started moving battalions off of Okinawa and then embedding them with the regiments at Camp Pendleton and Camp Lejeune and vice versa, right? So I was at 1st Battalion, 9th Marines, The Walking Dead. One night comes the 1st Marine Regiment, and Carlos asked me, he's like, so were you in the grunts? I said, yeah, I was in 1-9. He goes, oh, no. And then he tells me this story. He goes, when you guys got to Camp Horno. You guys tore up the bar, you destroyed all the the laundromat, you know, facilities on the thing and robbed the Roach coach in less than a month. You know, it's like we're pirates. It's what we are, dude. And uh, that was the notoriety that that battalion had back in the day, but it made you proud to be part of this. Like we're, we're, we're skirting the line here, but you know what? Nobody's stopping us. This is okay. To a degree, just use common sense, just don't, you know, go too far, and uh, there were guys that did, you know, and we had injuries out there, matter of fact, we had a, it was a six-by truck, I don't know if you've ever been out to Camp Pendleton before, but as you're coming off this top of this hill going out towards Las Polgas where the uh, artillery is located at, the truck was going too fast loaded with a bunch of Marines and it flipped over and killed three guys, you know, guys that we would regularly train with and stuff like that should never have happened in, you know, peacetime should never have happened, but it really had an impact on the entire battalion, you know, because everybody knew each other, you know, and it was encouraging. Some of the staff NCOs and officers were big time. They wore massive racks back to back to back, you know, deployments to Vietnam and stuff back in the day, but they were some of the best guys. They might not have been the most intelligent guys, but they knew their trade in the military and they cared about us. You know, it's like, Hey, if you're getting dehydrated, you know, mix a little bit of salt in your canteen and do that kind of stuff. They would remind you all the essential subjects that you'd already learned about. And uh, you would apply it. You know, the docs, we're always trying to share knowledge with us and stuff like that too. And we lived in squad bays. So it was like, there a guy in the next bulkhead over in, in the next bunk bed, you know, if you were not laying asshole, the belly button properly, you might get a fart in the head <laughs> that night, you know, or a whole host of any type of things could have happened, you know, in those barracks back in those days, man. And, uh, You know, I look back at that and just go, we were bulletproof. Nothing could possibly happen. You know, and then you started taking the risk level up a little bit more, moving into higher speed units. And then, of course, combat comes around. And uh, then you start to realize, okay, some of this is not meant for some people and they're not going to carry on with this anymore. I had just the opposite effect. First gunfight, I knew I should never get out of the Marine Corps. I was just hooked. At that point, you know, and and yeah, I mean, life took its toll later on. By the time I was 38, I knew I was slowing down, uh, wanted to have a family, all that kind of stuff. You know, in his case, I'll let him explain it to you. But in synopsis, he had hurt himself so bad from jumping when um, I knew him back in the day. We just push him up underneath the desk and uh, yeah, he's in the head right now, you know, shit like that you know? Yeah. And he got medically terminated. Yeah. Medically terminated, but he's a hundred percent now still working for the government army North doing great, but I'll let you tell that part of the story. Yeah. Let's do that at another time. Another time. Okay.
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate, you know, both of you guys coming on and, and sharing, uh, sharing anything you want, you want to, you know, share that's away,
1: man. I mean, I I did share some stuff with you guys that I I think the focus should be entirely on our expression of how we do Memorial Day, why we believe it's essential for um, us to continue to share that, you know, and I've been hitting that over the head with with Jose since day one. Customs, courtesies and traditions, they're they're, uh, the life and breath of our experience. Anything outside of that is at risk and we need to take care of him. Yeah, Yeah. just to
0: shift a little bit of, you know, shift the gears. Um, I met Mark in 2012 during a homeless veteran stand down at the VFW and I was in a very difficult transition. Um, Had just gotten out of the Marine Corps, uh, completed a third combat tour and I was recovering from a back injury. And that back injury was sustained because I was trying to induce similar effects when I was still operating, you know, that feeling you get when you're in a gunfight. Um, And luckily, I had Jonathan uh, Shrokovic living in Wilmington, who I ended up reaching out to and asking him, you know, if there's anything that I can do to volunteer. And it just so happens that there was this uh, Veterans Homeless stand down and Mark was one of the vendors. And, um, you know, I had noticed him you know, observing, and toward the end of that, when we we're cleaning up, you know, doing some field day, Mark approached me and sparked up a conversation. I was skeptical of Mark. I didn't know who he was. I thought he was just some fucking staff NCO that was, you know, I don't know, just, I was a an elitist back then, and just very, very wary of individuals who I didn't know, and Mark invited me to do this 50-mile hike on Memorial Day, correct? The Beirut Memorial? Yeah. And uh, on that, you know, we did, we accomplished that in those 50 miles, but it was the first time that I was actually able to say my entire story to somebody who understood it with no judgment. And to me, that was like the beginning of, you know, my my road back to, not to recovery, but just my road back to understanding, you know, that architect that we were just talking. About. We were just actually talking about, um, the Roman consul Cincinnatus, who um, filled up the archetype that is the citizen-soldier-farmer, right? So the legend goes that the Romans, you know, the, they were fighting the barbarian horde, but they needed a Roman consul, and and, and was in the field farming, tending to his field, and uh, they asked him to come back to lead the Roman legion, and he did, and he defeated the barbarian horde, and when it was all over, Cincinnatus humbly gave back the Roman legions back to the Senate and went back to his fields and um, and that's kind of what I was, you know, going back to that, you know, citizen soldier, farmer type mentality. And that was kind of what I was, that was like my transition and those ideals uh, throughout this, you know, almost near decade uh, mentorship that I've been with Mark um, has kind of unfolded gradually in those types of steps. And You know, going back to some of the notes that we are or some of the conversation that we were talking about earlier, um, if I did not have Mark in those critical moments of my life, I would not be here today. And I know that it takes a community to bring somebody back to the fold or from the fold. I know it takes a community, but there are just some individuals that stand out. And I always attribute, you know, Mark as being a cornerstone in my life to making a comeback because I didn't understand. I didn't understand the VA system. I didn't understand what I was supposed to do when I got out. I didn't understand, you know, what I was supposed to do with, you know, three combat tours under my belt. And, you know, I didn't understand the narrative. I just didn't understand anything. And luckily I had that. And I know that there's a lot of individuals right now that do not have that. And, you know, going into why we started the O3X6 series and, you know, the book and all this information and all this dialogue is, It's to create that type of infrastructure so that others can come up and begin this process as well. And it goes back to one of the fundamental pieces of of what I believe is all as at the heart of all operations, you know, in all, you know, the armed forces and that's that idea of brotherhood and sisterhood. And there's a deeper connection with that and dissecting it, you know, dissecting it, you can take it many routes, but as you know, I've, come to understand my relationship with mark and my my maturity i've always brought it back to the basics and when i speak with mark or if i'm going off you know the beaten path um i always bring it back to the basics and the basics is you know customs courtesies traditions you know physical fitness uh, education just small things in order to get my mind right in order for me to see what's at the end of the you know at the end of the tunnel what's at the end of that obstacle and um yeah, so my my transition and my development is still ongoing, but it's very, very much attributed to mark and what he put into me, and you know that's something that you can't find out here, um, you know, in the civilian sector. Um, maybe maybe there is, and maybe I'm just you know thinking in a general sense, but you know, I didn't, you know, Mark didn't ask for money. Mark didn't ask for, you know, uh, any type of thing. He just did it. And it's just something that I'm indebted to for the rest of my life. Just understanding, you know,
1: Mark's. Hey, we're family. That, that's the bottom line. Um, like I said earlier, when you walked into my life, I, I knew at a glance, what was happening with you. I knew what was going on with Jonathan as well. I was amazed by both your stories when you guys opened up, where you come from, what your roots that says everything to me. And if you remember, there was a time where, uh, we were working on the farm and I said, Hey, check this out. I got a conquistador. I got a Viking. Remember that? You know, I, I yeah. was proud of the fact the guys were volunteering to come from wherever the hell they were coming from. And I didn't care. It was just a place where we could consolidate, reorganize and refocus. That's what we needed. You know, that's what you will always need. And and that process never will leave us in the the peer support realm at all. If you can create that basis and it started with strumming for vets, you know, working with those guys down there at at the, the Ashley Transitional Living Center Remember that. You know, man, and I, I'll tell you, you got to find one, the symbolism that exists right there, something that is that they can rally upon, you know, and, and what a better, more perfect symbol than sergeant first class, Eugene, Ashley? we're talking a guy in the midst of civil rights unrest, a black dude joins, you know, the 82nd Airborne and becomes a leading communications guy, has the balls to try out for Special Forces and makes it and becomes one of the most highly reputable Special Forces communicators, not, if not leaders, of his time. I've, I've run into guys in, in the DAV system in North Carolina that knew him, that were Special Forces guys, and they'll tell me stories about Ashley, you know, real things that happened to them, how they knew him, you know, fighting at the GB club at Fort Bragg before they get deployed, and, and they got to get deployed, otherwise they're going to jail kind of things and <laughs> stuff like that. I'm like, hmm, I wonder where I heard that before, you know? So that's how that torch gets passed along amongst us, and if we have that time, one, I, I think what happened was we were able to get you to decompress on that hike. That was my tool. We are We are physically bred people, okay? And so it wasn't me trying to challenge you it was you learning to challenge yourself again, you know, putting you in a different context and got you comfortable doing it and stuff like that. That's the rapport-building skills that that you guys are going to need to help your brothers and sisters out inside your age group that will distinguish you as more mature and more experienced that they will guide onto, and you know, want to uh, listen, you know. But you you also know that there's that generational thing that I believe in as well. You know, and I, I, I encouraged you the other day, talk with Bob, you know, let me, let me go get something out of my room. I want to show you this thing. This is something that Bob earned when he was, you know, 23, 24 years old in the coast guard back in the sixties. And he gave it to me and Bob's almost 80 now. Hang on. You guys can talk while I'm
0: on. And just so people uh, know, Bob is a, uh... A retired lieutenant commander who served in the coast guard um did some missions back in the day um he was the i believe the uh he was a what
1: military affairs and he was uh, the dean of military and veterans right, affairs for cape uh, fear community college yeah yeah but you know what jose he was also the dean there until he retired and then 9 so, yeah. 11 comes around And then they drill right back on in there. And then he took over that job, which they didn't even have at the time. The guy is an outstanding, you know, uh, engineer. He he actually gets uh, contracts, I think every summer to go to uh, uh, the New England Maritime Academy. And he reviews their engineering programs. He teaches up there and stuff. And then not only that, the existing members, the living members of his Coast Guard Academy class from back in the day, they get together and they they build a house, one house every year for Habitats for Humanity at their age. So this is generational by example. You know what I mean? It's not what he's done. It's what he still does that blows my mind that I want to follow. You know, but anyways, here's his his, uh, Cutterman's badge that he earned back in the day for young officers, petty officers can earn these, but they look different and they're uh, a silver color and crewmates can get them as well. So that's a big deal for these guys. And a lot of people don't realize how risky a Coast Guardsman's job is, doing search and rescue, doing law enforcement operations at sea, visit board search and seizure and other maritime interdiction operations are freaking gnarly man and uh Bob was doing it before you know we had satellite and other ISR sensors out there and uh they do it on the gut feeling and, and knowledge of the sea that's awesome you you said he's he's 80 now he's pushing 80 yeah wow but when he was around 74 he was out there with us doing those 50 you know milers and, that, and we also did a 100-mile relay, <laughs> and he was out there with us on, the, on day one doing our, our Lewis and Clark expedition in the uh, Cape Fear and Black <laughs> River area, man, in the swamps yeah. and stuff. We had a blast that day. Yeah, man. Um, and, you know, just testament
0: to uh, the Coast Guard. I was just reading an article today that they're trying to stand up their own Special Operations Command now. They um, need to. Yeah. Um, the seas are changing. Um so they're up and coming right now. Um probably uh, um just shifting gears again. Uh wanted to address, you know, Memorial Day as a whole. And I think there's significant meanings behind it. I think there's multi-tiered meanings now. Um I know just within our unit there's a cloud that has followed us um since 2012 and probably going back. And, um, it's kind of changing, you know, the, the meaning of what that day signifies. And I think narrative wise, and it's something that I've been talking with Tyler about, you know, we need to control that narrative. And I think one of the hardest things, especially for OIF, OEF guys is, you know, how do we celebrate, you know, not only just the following, but how do we celebrate those who have, uh, gone to the other side, you know, stateside. And um, that's something that we're trying to figure out right now as a generation is how do we take that narrative back? How do we end up controlling that and giving meaning to these types of days? And just, you know, from personal experience, it's it's taken me almost eight years to really come out of my bubble to finally recognize, you know, personal introspective types of meaning to Memorial Day uh, and Veterans Day, and Armed Forces Day. And part of the reason why is, I think it was just too painful to recognize the realities that a lot of OIF and OEF guys um, go through. And you know, not to take away the fact that, you know, there's Vietnam guys out there. I was talking to Johnny Puckett. You know, they're gonna be the largest demographic now taking over in terms of the veteran population. And uh, they have significantly high numbers of suicide, and that's something that johnny is still trying to tackle at least in terms of you know his peer group and johnny's pushing i think 60 almost 70 now as well and that's you know and i know that's a, an ongoing narrative of, of of you know multiple meanings of why people decide to do that but you know there's something that i want to talk about And i know that you brought up a list of names here uh mark and uh And I think they stand as a reference point to an early period of time that do bring us strength that brought you strength. I know when I talk about the young men that I served with that are no longer here, they bring up specific types of strength, you know, the, the kind of push that I need when I need it. There's days where I'm busted. And then I think about Joe. I think about Vincent. I think about some of those times and I get the fuck up and I go, because they bring that kind of you know significance to my life now it's no longer a painful thing um, and just talking back you know what are some of the things that you know you've gone through over the decades and just trying to understand because you've seen it all you know you've seen you you've seen it in peacetime you've seen it in wartime you've seen it from every type of angle in mos um, what are some of the cornerstone moments that have
1: allowed you to maintain a balance? I'll tell you what, it it really hit me. The first time it it crushed me, I had a direct action platoon at at first force. And uh, it was right after the invasion of Kuwait in 1990. Okay, we got recalled from doing our uh, true training and we were with the uh, 11th Mew at that point, right? And uh, we had gone out as a unit with uh, the unit's families, even parents and kids, pre-deployment, okay? Because it was already on, we're wrapping up and everybody's getting ready to go. And it finally hit me, the level of responsibility I had. Because usually to, to a man in that platoon there, my team leaders were staff sergeants, okay, just by default, I I got promoted before they did, so I got to be the platoon sergeant, but I was confident that any one of those three team leaders, you know, like John Bell, for instance, he went on to become a sergeant major, okay, Jeff Taransky, he's he's a paramedic down in San Diego now, Uh, P.K. Olson, he retired a master gunnery sergeant, you know, And uh, I had all the confidence in the world. These are dudes I had been training with for at least 10 years in the reconnaissance community when that happened to us, you know? So I, I knew their families. I mean, John Bell's second son is named after me. Okay. So Marky was already born by that time. I was like, Oh my God. What have I got myself into, you know? And you got parents coming up to you and go, please bring them home. I know what you guys do. You know, that kind of thing. And wow. So that stuck with me all these years. That that, that humbling moment is what stuck with me. Okay. These names here are guys that I was around a lot. You know, like Joe Ellis. He was a corporal in a platoon. Com guy. Goes on. He's a first sergeant with 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines with Sergeant Major Jim Booker in Ramadi in 2004, wheeling and dealing. There's a History Channel documentary on that. You guys got to watch it and, and it will bring back flashbacks because you guys were there and you know what I'm saying. And then he comes back a couple of years later after he's promoted to Sergeant Major. It, he's the Sergeant Major of 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines. they had magnificent bastards. And he tackles a. A, uh, a suicide bomber. Okay, why he doesn't have a Medal of Honor, I don't know. I was there when he was buried with that that group from 1989. Wahid Khan, when he was still mobile, he was a a company commander uh, in MSOB now Raiders. At that point, the guy standing in front of me, his name is Stephen Thomas. He retired as a sergeant major. All those guys were successful. You see, so. One of the things I encourage you guys to do is that if you know who the talents are amongst you, the only way to keep the the group that is willing to live on and set more examples is keep on encouraging each other. Let them know we're going to stay shoulder to shoulder with you the rest of your life. And it may sound cliche, but you know what? We've known each other almost 30 years as old as you guys are, so it, it, so it's possible.
3: You know, the funny thing about it is, you know, I was going through the train. I was going through uh, the course, the AIQC course, and he's an instructor. He's already on the detachment and I'm trying to get in on the detachment pending my graduation of AIQC in Swick. If not, I would have gone someplace else. And that would have been, you know, the one and only time that we had met. And it, it's kind of odd. You know, we did a lot together on the detachment. We went to schools together, we constructed together. But we weren't really close. You know what I'm saying? Um, we hadn't established that bond, but when, when Mark left, you know, made the decision, Hey, it's time for me to go. Um, by the grace of God, we stayed in contact and, and, you know, our relationship bloomed after we went our separate ways from Bragg, you know, and, uh,
1: you know, it's just gotten better over the years. Yeah. And and that's the days before the internet. You know, it was, and, and cell phones for that matter. So you had to leave a voicemail message and then you had to stand by a standby for a phone call to catch up. By that time, this guy started working to his career, um, as a civilian working for army special operations command and then other stuff, uh, later. Yeah. Then he goes to Europe and he starts working in the Balkans and, Germany and places like that, you know, and he's a single dad raising his own kids. All at the same time. Okay. So you got to give each other, if you know anything about the guy next to you, you know, you got to take it from a a humble position is that would you want to be in his shoes or do you want to try to understand what kind of effort he's putting out in those shoes and what can I do to help you? Welfare of the troops, I, you know, that, that, that's my biggest thing. Welfare of the troops becomes the mission. And as a senior staff NCO, having known the troops that I've been around senior as they were, um, you, you had to be humble. And welfare of the troops is the first things first, period. You know, um, if you train them right, guess what? Y'all get to come home. You know, if you half ass train, could be as low as 50 50. And you guys have taken casualties um, on the battlefield. And I know that 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines is, is still suffering at this point. You know, how do you get the word out? Um, you're building a behavioral health um, methodology, but I also know you're, you're a believer too. So there, there is space for faith based things. I don't proselytize anybody on my faith, but I I do believe this, that if I don't have that, I'm, I'm, I'm a walking time bomb. So I give it to God, you know, on those days where I'm just like, I'm flatlined, you know, um, I walk this, this property here and I listen to recorded prayers and stuff like that. I get myself in that, that walking meditative mode. And when I'm done with that, you know, my philosophy here, I got to do construction or labor. Okay. And sometimes it's just a day of labor just to get my headspace squared away again. So I can actually focus on construction, but it has to be, you know, that way for me, I can't work in an office. I don't like putting up with that kind of environment at all. I got to be outside. You know, and now that I I realize that completely, because I I tried those things, wear the suit and all that kind of stuff, and uh, and I have to say I did look pretty good, but you know, that that's just my ego talking, and uh, I realize that I don't like this. You know, I don't like it. I'd rather dig a ditch than sit in a conference room for eight hours, haggling with freaking civilians. Honestly. You know, I I could do this all day long because this is a learning experience for all of us. You know, I don't have to have the floor all day. I can shut the hell up and and listen to you guys because you have taught me a lot, Jose. In in these past several years of your education process, the stuff that Philip shares with me coming from the ATFP side of the house, you know, has blown my mind and, and compelled me to keep on moving forward in those studies and vice versa, you know, so you, you got to find that, uh, that happy medium with somebody, you know, that might be walking the line.
2: Yeah, that's something that me and Jose have talked about quite a bit, is, you know, especially when I first talked with him, when he, you know, asked me to come share my piece, and, you know, I told him, and I and I still feel this, I live it every day, is, is you know, after you leave that after you leave service and you have that deep rooted connection with all your brothers and you're, and you're so attached, so many guys, I think, end up, you know, with the shit in their lap saying, what do I do now? Like, what's my purpose now? I just left, you know, we had, a we've talked about this before, but we had a, uh, it was a mess night. I think it was after our Af- Afghanistan deployment, the initial one in 2009. And uh, there was a general speaking, I forget his name. Um, But he, he made, he made a comment or I don't think it was his own statement. It was a quote. And it was basically like, you know, the man that you, you were and are today is going to be the best version of yourself that that will ever be. But it doesn't mean that you can't develop into a new person and be the best version of that person. And something that has stuck with me, it's kind of just like what you're saying. I I really related to what you're saying there. It's just keeping yourself busy. I love doing projects around my house. I was just sharing with Jose, I'm building a retaining wall. You know, it's a hundred and something foot long, digging post holes. You know, I, I had the truck full of 65 bags of 60 uh, pounds a piece concrete quick set for the post holes, unloaded that, breaking my back off. And I'm just like, you know, there's something... St- there's something about that doing that type of work, you know, whether it it matters to no one else besides you, you know, and, and the mission and the tasks you're trying to accomplish for yourself, but there's just, there's just so, there's so much good that can come from things like that. And I think having your own projects, you know, farming, doing whatever, um, your arts, you know, religion, whatever it is to, to find, that new avenue for yourself outside of being that warrior, you know, that the warrior ethos is going to be with you forever, forever. forever. If that's where you came from, if that's the background that you came from and that's instilled in you and probably you were born with it, but you developed it under different circumstances. That's going to be with you forever, but that doesn't mean you have to be that until you're 60, 70, 80 years old. You don't have to be the warrior. You can be, something else and be the best at that.
1: Um, I mean, this list of guys here, I could, I could tell you what their inherent talents were, you know, that's how well I knew them. They, they may not have known that about themselves, but I guess, like I was saying earlier today, I learned in, in, in high school football, matter of fact, I learned it probably even earlier than that. So probably in flag football when I was about seven years old, you know, what it was like to be coached and you didn't even know you had a talent for the position or the, the, the inherent leadership, uh, traits naturally because you're that aggressive and they're, they're going to start fine tuning you for that kind of stuff. The acceptance of the responsibility of going through the hardship in order to get to an in state. Okay. That means that you took a step up in the right direction. You weren't that kid that, you know, he was always complaining because he had to sit the bench, but didn't realize you sit the bench because you're still working on things or you complain too much or you're crying and this and that, you know, and, uh, we don't believe in any of that. I'm, I'm old school. I mean, one of the things my grandfather taught me was, he said this to me he said if you can't operate a shovel or a broom you ain't shit you know and I, I think it's true because there's so many people out there today they don't they don't get their kids to do anything make their beds put their own clothes on operate a q-tip in their ear properly or whatever the case might be they're a bunch of you know nannies out there ninnies and uh No, I've always been independent. I think the same thing of you guys, too, because I've listened to some of you guys' other stuff together, and I'm I'm just like, perfect fit. These guys play off each other perfectly, you know, and then the example you just gave about, I'm going to build a retaining wall. Uh, Who wakes up some days and just says, I'm going to do this instead of, how much money do we got in the bank, honey? Let's get somebody, somebody to do this for us, you know? No, he's the same way. You know, he will take care of it himself, and he's a special forces engineer, so his mind is always looking at dimension, you know, constantly, and we figure it out. Just like this morning, we we built him his uh, his bathing kilt, you know, out of a trash bag and, and some bubble wrap or whatever, right? And uh,
3: Saran wrap, basically.
1: Yeah, he finally got a chance to take a shower, you know? I got a picture of him, he's he's got like a battle axe and his kilt, plastic kilt and stuff like that. But you know, that's essential right there in brotherhood. Find that point where you guys inflect, you know, learn off each other, doesn't necessarily mean act like each other, but learn from each other. And when you're apart, take copious notes, Share them with somebody that you trust, and it's only gonna grow from there, you know. And you know there's guys that are still immature that you know they'll lead you into something and uh, they'll stab you in the back. Not a second time you won't. You know, you guys got something good going on here, and you need to keep at it.
2: I appreciate that. And I, I don't, I don't want to cut her hair off, but anytime, you know, guys like you to your caliber with, with all the information and experience that you have want to come bullshit, whether it's recorded or not. I mean, I think that helps us all grow. Just like you said, we're all learning from each other here. And, you know, we, we haven't been, we haven't lived through circumstances that you have service related or afterwards. Um, and we appreciate it. I know, like I said, I, I i had to I had to reach out to Rare because ever since we started doing this, he's talked about you. He, he hasn't really shared a whole lot, but he's my mentor, my mentor Mark, my mentor Mark. And I and I hit him up when he was saying, "Yeah, I think I'm gonna have you know my mentor come on here." And I said, "Hold on, dude you got you got to tell me a little bit more about this guy because I can't if this if this figure is that that important in your life, I need to know more about him before, you know." before we have a discussion about something, but um, yeah. Anytime, anytime, you know, you guys, either, either of you want to, want to share some info. I'm oh, sure there's a lot is. of people I mean, probably willing to listen.
1: This is my business partner. So has he, has Jose told you a little yeah, bit th- about Thumos, Thumos? Yeah. Well, not Thumos. It's called carver.train. Oh, okay. Okay. And so what we do there is we're, we're going to have, A variety of different levels. We're starting off the 100 level with uh, um, safety, safety, security and survival stuff for individuals in the modern age, basically, you know, and we've got a host of of different talents that will support us. But this has been his dream since probably he he wrote the first manuscript around 1998. And I, I kept the original copy of it. And we've just expounded on it. You know, this is his passion now. So I got to support him there. It's time for him to start to transition away from the stressors of of working for Army North and start to, you know, do something that he wants to do and is passionate about. And, you know, I've I've had my opportunities in the past, slightly successful, not necessarily the directions I want it to go. But then I I can share the nuances of if you if your business model is going to be like, this is what you should expect to happen and if you don't keep the numbers. So we built surveys upfront. We have an interviewing process for potential students to attend. We want them to be in, in our classroom for all the right reasons, temper and intent. And uh, if they could demonstrate that, I guarantee they're gonna walk away with, with new learning and and it's gonna continue the cycle. Um, the basis of, of our methodology is uh, mindset in planning and we use the the carbon matrix planning tool that we use in target analysis in the special mission side you know and we, we teach people how to how to distill that on down for their own personal uses and they can take care of themselves better in political turbulence like we're having here in the united states now but wherever they may roam on this planet for that matter you know be responsible don't just walk around like you're you know, running down the beach chasing seagulls, you know, because there's a potential problem there too. You just might not see it. And uh, especially in this world today. I mean, I used to go to Venice Beach on the weekends just to hang out with my friends in L.A. And you can't go to Venice Beach anymore in L.A. because you're going to get jumped or you're going to get stabbed or you're going to get robbed, you know. So that's why we did it we realize that it's there. It, it, it's a, it's a business opportunity, but it's something we learned deeply that we want to convey to other people and share it with them because I mean, we had examples in the past, for instance, there was an event that took place at the Saudi Arabian national guard headquarters, probably what about 95, 1995.
3: 90,
1: yeah. Yeah. It was about 1995. And, uh, this, this, this V bid blew away the top floors of the Saudi Arabian national guard headquarters. Right. And and we were the DOD, uh, proponent for all anti-terrorism for the entire department of defense. Okay. We had Delta guys came to our courses. We had FBI, we had CIA, we had everybody, U S marshals, U S everybody, they, they came to our course to learn and, and, uh, so they sent these four master sergeants that were assigned there. Two of them were special forces and they were out doing their regular duties, okay? Surveillance detection and whatever the heck else they were supposed to be doing. And then there was a, an, an EOD and a mechanized infantry guy. My and, old MLS. And, and they, unfortunately, were at the Saudi Arabia National Guard headquarters when the place got hit, okay? And... I guess after they recovered from their injuries and whatnot they decided or the army decided send them to this course so we started to teach um them and the mechanized infantry uh eight ended up on floor four at uh walmart army hospital he had a ptsd episode as a result of what we were telling him because we had this information, and we were never taught this. We could have been better at our jobs had we known this stuff, you know. And, and he ended up in the, uh, you know, in the nut ward at, at Womack Army Hospital until he settled back down. And then Army decided to keep the guys at Bragg, and we we put them all through Intact. So, you know, because the other three made it through the anti-terrorism instructor qualification course, this guy didn't but he needed to be trained some way, shape or form before he went back because he was handling programs in Saudi Arabia. So they kept him in intact so we could demonstrate a model on how to deliver that information properly. Right? And so he excelled from there, but I've seen it with my own eyes. We had guys that were from uh, the mill group in El Salvador that attended the course and uh, they've seen so much combat that they had um, you know just anatomical issues and whenever we put this one guy under pressure he would just start throwing up you know and uh he could deliver the information he knew the information but he would get scared and just start throwing up i mean are you going to do that in front of you, a live audience no so we had to figure out some other ways in wrap board building is one of the things that that we do teach. So we, we teach neuro-linguistic programming and things like that, and try to help guys recondition their minds and mindset on how to overcome fear and be able to go ahead and, and do your job kind of stuff. And, and I'm sure that there are many, many civilians out there going, what is really happening in the United States right now? We can help explain that. And not only that, put it into a context, you know, with this information, Just like you guys are doing in your own personal studies and, and, you know, what Jose believes is going to be the next behavioral health model. I I have no doubt that's the correct way to go, but it's just a matter of, you know, who gets to get credit for it, you know, at the congressional level, who's going to fund that. And we're seeing, you know, that kind of stuff when you're talking about Fauci, um, American money being funneled through the NIH and given to a uh, a virology laboratory in Wuhan, okay? Who controls our our tax dollars and why do you want more? Um, Okay, let's take the power back. And what you guys are doing, what we're doing is just that. You know, and when you find like-minded individuals and start linking all these things together, then you're gonna see a more powerful big picture. It's gonna be much more clear. But not only that, you'll be able to operate that kaleidoscope and bring it into really start focus on how to make it work in execution.
3: It's a win-win situation.
1: You know, yeah, absolutely.
2: That's how, I mean, that I, I, just you talking about that makes me think like there's probably tons and tons, like countless individuals that would want to participate in some type of training or education like that that they would that that they would never otherwise have the opportunity to so yeah
3: you're 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 spot on on that tyler um, uh, yeah, you're spot on that there are people out there, and Mark and I have talked on you know numerous times on on the subject that you know they're scared, they don't know, and there's nothing out there that they can grab onto that um, um, gives them some sort of sense of power, control, not power and control in a in, in kinetic, sen- sense. sense, but power and control of their lives of, OK, um, this is so simple. Gee, I could have had a VA. But at the same time, I'm taking care of myself, which reduces their stress level reduces the anxiety and if they have a family they bring the family into the fold now they feel better equipped that's the right word not powered but better equipped to identify to recognize identify and how to uh, what is it assess decide react is that it yeah assess decide react at a moment's notice now, Every situation is different. Every situation that you encounter is different, but it's the experiences. It's the the basic level of stuff that you should have in order to better protect oneself or one's family in multiple different environments. So you're spot on with the analysis, Mm -hmm. Tyler.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. You guys were instructors, you know, on high level stuff and outside of the military, where do you get that? You know, that's, that's the whole idea, right. In combat or any high threat situation, the idea of training is, is when you're presented with those circumstances, if you don't know how to decide or, or react in that situation, hopefully you will just fall back on whatever training you had to guide you through that experience. Or no training.
3: Yeah, exactly. This is a need. This is a need that is out there and we're both, in agreement that this is this is a a need that is at the perfect time to present to people we're still in development we're not gonna we're not going to uh you know half-ass it that's not the way we do stuff but you know we're going to provide a need a, a very special need to multiple groups of people wherever they are and um you know we'll just see where the uh you know, where the dust settles afterwards. We're either gonna make it or we're not. Uh, I, it's not gonna be a halfway this or halfway or a struggle here or a struggle there. We're either gonna make it or we're not. And we're in agreement. Doesn't really matter one way or the other. I mean, it does to us, we wanna be successful, but at the same time, we honestly believe what we're doing is the right thing for the right reason. And to me, that
1: is, you know, an important piece of yeah, the and, and you know, the timing, like you said, is correct. Have you seen our sizzle video yet? I haven't seen it. I'm gonna send it to you later, yeah. okay? All right. And 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 I'm not I'm not trying to sell it, I'm just saying that for those people that have no common sense whatsoever, and I used to get that from one of my counselors. I, I would say, man, they don't have any common sense, he goes, comment to who? Comment to who? Okay what I, you know, and let's get back on the topic of Memorial day. What, what I trust in that kind of sense right there is the fact you're combat veterans, both of you guys and and all your friends is that I can understand as old as I am, I can understand the instincts that you guys operate off of. Okay. And not only that, how you've been able to bring things together and, and use that and make it useful for yourself, you know, um, hereafter in the aftermath of, of, you know, making it through three combat tours in the United States Marine Corps infantry under those environments that you had to, you know, in most cases, not to survive, but I think some of the things that I've read about you all is that in some cases you guys actually thrive. you know, and I used to get that in a, in a dojo that I used to train at in Charlotte, you know, it's crying the dojo and laughing the battlefield. And, you know, I, I use that to my advantage. It's like if I'm in top form and my instincts are just razor sharp and the dudes that are around me are are that sharp too right there, guess what? We can get anything done, anything, you know, and, and there's going to be the grind of it all. But we start with the instinct and, and how we discern that is through our survey. Our survey, for instance, I, I used the survey on, on my two nephews, and we got contrast. And we got contrasting feedback because the reasons why they stated certain things were different, but almost identical at the same time, which was weird. But that just goes to show you, personality types are going to be different. But if I put those two guys under the same conditions and, and added in just a little bit of competition in there. Okay. You're going to see these guys work. Somebody is going to come to failure at some point. All right, we're going to back it down just a little bit, pick up your magazines, you going to do a bit more drive practice, magazine changes and stuff like that, etc. It's all in the drill is the drill realistic. And, it, and that same type of thing as we cycle in the drill Okay. do I see myself doing the same thing? Do I take the time before I step out of the house and do I visualize the process I'm going to put myself through in order to safely make it to, you know, uh, Vons or Albertsons or whatever grocery store I got to go to, you know, and I'm always prepared for the worst when I go out, you know, for instance, I step out one night to get some cat food. Cause I got ranch cats. Right. And they, I, I like to reward them for keeping the, the ranch clean of all ground vermin. And so I give them, you know, good food. So they come back and, and they depend on me just like I depend on them. You know, we got that symbiosis between man and nature. And uh, this guy comes pulling up and I made eye contact with him as he was pulling up. And just the way he looked at me, I knew, Don't step out there because he's going to run you over. Right. And I stopped, but then he swerved to try and get me. Right. So I kicked his truck. He stopped. I punched him in the face as he was coming out of his vehicle. I said, you get out of that vehicle. You're never getting back in that motherfucker. again. I get out of here. Right. And there was two families, you know, probably four kids and two women that were crossing the street at the same time, but he was fixated on me to fuck me up, you know? And so, Somebody had to stop him because he was going to hurt somebody else. So it's that big picture. It's like when you're doing house clearing, right? Keep, your, keep a straight finger, okay? And you intend on discharging your weapon. You're not going to shoot from room to room because there's still guys clearing up and down the hallways and all that kind of stuff. Be aware of your background, etc. right? So that's always part of my 180 in front of me. What's there? What's there? You know, it's just like when you're doing the different table drills and you're knocking stuff down, but then you're done shooting, you know, pair to the body, one to the head, muzzle comes down, you're going to check left, check right, right? Making sure that you can open up your peripheral vision because you got tacky psyche. What does that mean? That means that you're getting, you know, auditory exclusion, you're getting tunnel vision and a whole host of other physiological responses because it's fight or flight, but now you're in the fight. And are you controlling that fight? Which means that you gotta open things up a little bit. And that's me. It's instinctive to me. It's instinctive to you guys as well, because you've lived that way. It's instinctive to him, but how do we teach civilians that have always been, as Jeff Cooper says, living in the white, conditioned white. They're oblivious. Yeah.
2: Our
3: focus focus is to teach them the basics you know, not overwhelm them, but give them the basics so that they have that capability to enhance. And like Mark said, you know, we're focusing on the 100 level and, you know, we've talked about level two, three, and even 400 levels type stuff for a different type of audience. Not everybody's going to get that, those kinds of
1: classes. Um, but Yeah. And it's possible to attain that knowledge. You show some interest and you show some development, we'll help you get there. You know, it's just like the Marine Corps for various ranks, right? We have the the Marine Corps reading list. How many guys blew that one off and didn't learn? Oh, I hate the Corps. I'm not going to read that shit. I'm not going to do my MCIs. I don't care if I'm a corporal, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, if you get into the practice early while you're in an institution – it makes it easy to transition out if you have the desire to go to college or to a vocational school for development or whatever you want to do thereafter. That, that's what we advocate, lifetime learning. You know, and we, we remain in the mentor role. It's kind of funny because some of the guys some of the talent that wants to work with us, we got retired law enforcement agents from federal level down to state level, down to you know, good old boys that have combat experience and their military experience, and they all bring a whole essence, you know, to to that mixing pot of mm-hmm. stuff. We got PhDs that review our information. We've got doctors. We got, you know, medical personnel, insurance people, stuff like that. You know, that's trying to touch all the all the things that enable us in this society that are probably going to need a little bit more help. You know, it's just like I got in touch with uh, Jose early when I found out about the Colonial Pipeline. Are you guys getting hit in North Carolina? Yeah. What did I do next? I got a hold of our videographer who Jose actually uh, referred Thank us to, too. and same thing was happening up in Onslow County. So then I just started working my way south down the coast friends in South Carolina, friends in Georgia, family members in Florida. And it was like a domino effect, but that was the first that they had heard about it, you know? And, and so I alerted them and, you know, they were good to go. They were able to top off their vehicles and go into their, you know, go to hell plan just in case things got, you know, off the charts purge style or whatever. And uh, we were there for them. They were running like a little call center that, Hey, what would you do in this situation and stuff like that? So that that's how it kind of ad hoc turned out to be. wasn't direct, formal training, but we were able to talk to people over the phone on encouraging them to do this or that in the environment that you live in, and uh, got good good results yeah. as a, as a as a result. And you know the model that comes to mind for us is uh, Sergeant Major Mike Glover's American Contingencies Network. I I think that. What you guys are doing, what we're doing, it fits into that model fairly well, you know, and it keeps variety on a national level for people to listen to us share information with each other.
0: Yeah, that's one of the biggest uh, components that I advocate for within the physical realm, you know, whether it's tactics, strategies and operations, you can't have that unless you have the mental health side of things. So what bridges both of those gaps, right? And that's establishing a baseline, right? Baselines, whether it's biometric cues, iconography, um, atmospherics, um, your own mental health, what triggers you, what happens when you leave this, um, understanding the ecosystem as it is today, right? So that's one of Mike Glover's um, uh, pinnacle uh, things about American contingency is that he has entire regions dedicated to intelligence like raw intelligence understanding the landscape what you're about to get into if you're, if you're traveling through Oregon you better be prepared prepared because there's you know actors out there that are determined to you know carry out their own types of laws things that you might be in trouble for or you might have to engage or you might have to evade and it's an odd thing because you know going through the contracting side of things we were taught to evade, 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 evade. Everything is about invasion or evasion. And it's, it's kind of, it was, it was a, it was a unique transformation because everything, you know, the Marine Corps side is to locate, close with destroy. Now I'm being taught how to evade. Well, learning that type of evasion has allowed me to traverse multiple landscapes where it's like, I don't need to engage. I don't need to engage. I'm not here to prove, you know, my ego, my pride or anything like that. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm going to silently move away from the situation and go about my business if I need to, if I need to be reactive, if someone's in trouble, then I'm going to go ahead and have, you know, get out my resources to whether it's my med kit or whatnot. And yeah, for a lot great. of folks, yeah. And for, for a lot of folks, you know, if you going into the tactical or the operation strategies and tactics of things, I fundamentally believe you cannot do that unless you understand your own internal dialogue have your physiological and psychological drivers um, pretty much honed. And in order to do that, it takes physical fitness. You have to challenge yourself every day. You have to eat the right way. And then you have to educate yourself in the right way, right? Our body is a specific kind of tool and we should have a manual that allows us to best utilize it. And for a lot of folks, you know, that's kind of the reason why I went Mark's route was, if I need to understand the peer support side of things, the mental health side of things, I also need to understand, you know, uh, physiology, anatomy, I need to understand what my body can do, it cannot do. And that's why I started getting all these certifications in order to understand and be a better, I I don't mean to sound cliche here, but a better operator. Um, I, I view life as an entire campaign. Right, If I'm going from point A to point B, then I better have all these things in line, And that's why my days start at 03 in the morning, now recently zero two thirty in the morning. So I can go ahead and be better prepared for all of those challenges that are going to come my way. And for the most part, that's, I think, the biggest thing that I could give to somebody, the biggest piece of advice is establishing baselines. And, and what that means simply is understanding where you are, who you're around, What's going on in terms of current events and try to put your biases and prejudices away and view certain things in an objective manner. And that will bring you a better quality of life. It would allow you to flourish and you don't have to spend mentally grueling time trying to understand very complex issues that you're not going to be able to fix that day. Those are going to be policy issues. And so that's, you know, hitting on both sides. I think it's probably, one of the more significant points that, you know, if anyone's listening is, is establishing a baseline, what is your baseline? What is your internal baseline? And how do you get those baselines? Well, it takes a little bit of time. It took me almost nine years to finally understand that. And thank God. And once again, you know, I had Mark to show me those, show me the ropes to, to get to that point.
1: You know, and we talk about this frequently as well. Um, it all comes down to setting realistic goals period. You know, are you going to take the time and do the research and find out that this great idea I just had is going to burn in because I'm going to, it's going to take me two years to learn this stuff. I can't just imagine it and say, I know how to do it. It doesn't work that way. You know, and and you know how it is in in my life, working with the kids that I've had, they were, they were very imaginative boys, but uh, they didn't have Realistic goals, you know, so it was up to coach Mo, you know, during the, uh summer vacation that, hey, get all your friends together. and We're going to run a boys boot camp, you know, before you guys go into football uh, later on this summer. That way, you know, when, when you go into the first couple of weeks of, of the football season, uh, it's not going to be so harsh on you. You know, Oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, and I'd get a bunch of boys and just thrash the shit out of them. And you'd watch these little freaking savages grow into warriors over the course of like the next six weeks. And they were prepared and they could perform as soon as they went out for their tryouts. And the coach was like, who are these kids? You know, but it was because I was retired and I had the time to be a parent, be a friend, be a mentor, be a coach and then participate with them to show them that as old as I was, I could still keep up with you or you have to keep up with me kind of thing, you know? And so that, that sets the model that I think you just discussed is that where do I want to supplant myself into certain things? What am I, what are my strengths? Okay. And am I going to stumble across a weakness or do I already know what that is and make those, a goal for myself to start working on? Do I want to be more ambidextrous? You know, because I I, I have some weaknesses in my stand up. Um, I want to be more ambidextrous because what if I get shot in my strong hand and all I've got is a pistol? Do I know how to manipulate, you know, get it reloaded, clear malfunction, and all those different types of things? What if my um, dominant hand? Or I, for that matter, are injured in um, an auto accident um, with another vehicle, but I'm the one still standing and somebody's catching on fire. Am I not going to go into action and try and help that other person because, you know, could they be some woke individual with blue hair that's going to sue me later, you know, because there's no good Samaritan laws in, in that particular state? You know, that's what I'm talking about, mindset and planning, that if your goals are these things and they're rolling through your mind, um, stop right there. At least read an article, edify yourself to see if it piques your interest, and if it's not, let it go. You know, that's that's the way I kind of do it, and uh, I don't spend a lot of time um, holding on to stuff. Because if, if if you do, if you're going to find out that, uh, like I said earlier to you, Tyler, uh, that that Kenny Chesney song, "Don't Blink." Yeah. You know, you don't commit into something for a deep learning experience and share it with other people. Why do it anyways? Because yeah. no, Just yeah. have a leg up on somebody else, and you know that just shows you got too much ego and and not enough humility. Yeah.
2: One thing, I mean, and and everything is kind of it's like a blanket, you know, term, but it's really what it's all about. And it's something I've told, I've told my friends and and my wife about all the time. And it's, it's the art of self reliance, right? Where does that come from? It comes from knowledge, experience, you know, all these different types of things. It comes from, you know, Phil's engineer mind frame where you can analyze the situation and, and analyze that space and try to think of all the possible outcomes that might happen, which all ties into, I don't know the acronym y'all are familiar familiar with, but before I got out of the Marine Corps, it was later, it was later in my time, I I came across the, the term OODA loop. Yeah. Yep. And that's something I live by day to day. And I even joke about it with my wife and my friends, you know, I'm like, stop fucking on my OODA loop. Like, you know observe orient decide act and this is this is a continual loop that we do on a day-to-day basis no matter what's thrown at us you know you constantly adjust 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 and what you're what you're proposing and your in your training and and you know how you want to go about that is I think teaching that self-reliance ability you know mm-hmm. how can people how can people traverse this landscape, without having you know you have to have a basis a foundation of information to you know carry out any plan you have whether it be going to the grocery store like you said get in the car go to the gas station you know you're doing this OODA loop you're doing all these things whether you know it or not
1: but um, that's the cycle i was talking about earlier yeah you know, boyd was was instrumental in, in building this thing out as an individual in, in the Korean War. But later on, Boyd's OODA loop was brought into the United States Marine Corps about the mid 1980s. And that's that's something that we began to use for maneuver warfare at the lowest common denominator. Lance corporals were taught that, young yeah. second lieutenants were taught that, you know, TBS and all that kind of stuff. So keep it in your toolbox, man. That's, yeah. That thing is valuable.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, you know, something especially I thought it was interesting because me and me and Jose both were privileged to participate in some pretty extensive um, medical training from tier one group within two eight, and we both got to do their T triple C course, which for me on that deployment, you know, was instrumental training. I mean, it was, you know, definitely utilized directly. Um, and I always said, you know, I've said to him, I've said afterwards, I was like, you know, it's a shame because I feel like that training was the best training I ever received in the Marine Corps. So at this point, the Marine Corps is contracting outside groups that are, you know, compromised of military members, but not directly, you know, they're, they're a civilian company. Um, and, and they're using them to train their their service members on how to properly, you know, apply first aid in combat scenarios. Right. And I think that was the best training I ever had. I mean, I still have all the manuals and everything, and I hold that shit dear to me because I, I think, with my circumstances, you know, it it was pivotal training. Um,
1: it's it, it's more essential than most most troops will ever realize. You get. The serious basics in boot camp, and that's about it. Um, I hope you guys got a chance through Tier One Group to do live tissue training. Yeah. I'm not sure if you guys use pigs we, or we, goats or whatever. Yeah, we yeah, both. That, that's essential.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, and so there was a company, it was called DMOC back in the day that was servicing Camp Lejeune, and uh, they were trounced on by PETA big time. So I think the executive director um, moved aside so they can continue to do this because these guys, it was all special operations medicine. And I was working with uh, two MEF headquarters group. I was working the uh, transition team uh, training cell. Okay, so butchers, bakers, candlestick makers from all around the Marine Corps, working on battalion to, you know, high-level staffs inside the Iraqi security forces and also the uh, Afghan National Army, right? And and um, these weren't special forces teams by any stretch. And um, they had to go through this training. I designed it that way. They were gonna get that training. They were going to get just short of Circe stuff. Uh, they were going to get, because I mean, we're talking advisors you don't know who you're embedding with and there isn't going to be any coalition force around you to provide safety security and survival for you're going to be out there hanging in the wind on your own just like you guys were operating out of those little platoon patrol bases and stuff like that so taking on the responsibility of saving a life aside from taking them um that it's noble you got to want it And it's like I was explaining earlier about the welfare of my troops um, before Desert Shield, Desert Storm. It became just crystallized and just crushingly humiliating to realize that how much responsibility that you actually have. But of course, how much you love these people, too. So why don't you want to have those skills? Are you just lazy or what? You know, and, and you guys as young leaders, you, you got that chance of a lifetime to learn something outside the box, but realize how utterly essential it is, especially when you guys are downrange and getting guys getting hurt. You know, and who went into action first? The guys with the knowledge. It wasn't the guy that was taking a knee over there, pulling security, going, what happened?
0: Yeah. He
1: doesn't know. You know, and, and that barracks is, is, is the home yeah. And uh, as a corporal or sergeant looking way back, you know, I, I was one of those guys where on the weekends, yeah, we're going to go drink some beer at, at the E-Club, but the next day, Saturday or Sunday, I was going to be reading, playing some guitar, talking with guys that actually wanted to learn more. Or I could learn from or share with, and that's just how I did my career. You know? and then uh, and it never stopped. And, and I think you can see evidence of it in that distributed operations thing. I, I give homage in memorial to the year zero crowd. That was a unique bunch of dudes, you know? And like I said, um, we never got that opportunity again, ever. Everybody else went their separate ways, but as, you know, uh, learning our lessons during that period of time, they all went out and became very successful, you know, but there were some guys that did make it back, you know, from their leadership roles and stuff. Um, I remember after coming home, I went to the force recon association convention in 1994 and, uh, I stayed with this lady in, in Oceanside and, uh, she knew a friend of mine, a guy that had been on in my platoon and, uh, Dave Campbell. You know, he was the oldest guy we called him Merc Magoo because he wore glasses, and he looked like Mr. Magoo, but he was this big freaking <laughs> scrappy dude, right? And uh so I I was I'm waiting for Merc Magoo to come over to the house. And this this skinny, withdrawn looking dude standing at the door. I was like, Dave, is that you? It's just gone. And what had happened is these guys had done screening operations through the for force to this day. There there is no open source um declaration that these guys went through an area that was covered with nerve aging to this day and we don't know you know the the total outcome of those guys we've discussed it within our community but nobody knows whatever happened to those guys those are the guys that crawled under a rock because they were ashamed that they couldn't explain what had happened to themselves i hate that yeah I hate that. You know, there was there was testimony on C-SPAN probably about 1994. There was a Marine Corps engineer major in his alphas in front of a, a Senate investigative committee. Okay. And he's just slobbering on himself and stuff. And, and you can't even understand what he's saying. His wife has to interpret what he's saying. But he was one of those Marines that was exposed to that shit. In public. OK, and no one said anything about it all these years later. I do. You know why? Had two uncles, one served in three five. The other one served in three seven Vietnam vets, Agent Orange, took them. These were guys that had great families and stuff like that, but had second order conditions on the children that were born after that. May even have third order or fourth order. You know, and so you guys need to be thinking about that, too. The burn pit stuff, um, bad water, um, all those things, as you age, are going to start to reveal themselves. OK, I'm not sure how you guys felt after you were detoxing from all the vaccinations that you got for deployments and things like that. But I, I thought I was getting crippled. About two weeks after I retired, I couldn't even stand up. The neuropathy in my feet was so bad, I couldn't even stand up. Then I changed my lifestyle, went into yoga and did a bunch of stuff like that and and, uh, started getting myself squared away again. And so I advocate that now, that it worked for me. You don't have to go get, you know, lunch bags full of drugs in order to try to bring yourself to a a level of homeostasis. There's another way to do it. and it, It exists mainly between your ears. If I think it, I can do it. Yeah, at least try.
2: Yeah. yeah, for sure. That was definitely a weird period for me. I mean, leaving that, you know, we all come out of that motherfucker pickled with all kind of shit in us. And some of it just, I think, takes, takes time. Obviously, living a cleaner lifestyle helps get rid of, rid of it sooner than later. But, I mean, like you said, the long-term effects of of things are yet to be known. I mean, for us, obviously Vietnam era guys and stuff are, are seeing the whole gamut of what, what their time and service was, but.
1: You know, I, I I would recommend that um, if you guys are real serious about organizing, we need to have like maybe a little summit on how to organize this a little bit more effectively, who in your ranks has gone on and become, you know, medical professionals, and are, are they still connected? Who went on to be, you know, chemistry scientists and, and things of that nature and, and just bring them on in? You know, when Nick Rayna passed on, um, our commander from back in the day, uh, retired colonel named Kent Bradford, he's also um, department chair in science, and he's got a, a wild background, too. You know, have you ever seen that movie with uh, Nicolas Cage, Con Air? Yeah. Yeah, he, he did something like that for, with the U.S. Marshal Service after he got off of active duty as a Marine Corps officer. And then now he's, you know, guy with glasses and, um, you know, teaching science to to one of the most esteemed uh, academies in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, to high school children, you know, there he is. That's Clark Kent right there. But you want to unleash that beast? Be wise not to. you yeah. know. And uh, That's the kind of guys I, I like having in my network that if we know that there is a group of people within our demographic that are having particular issues. Because one of the things I was most worried about with him, he's an old nuclear forces soldier back in the day, Cold War guy in Eastern Europe, working around, you know, the fold, gap and stuff like that in a Bradley fighting vehicle and exposed to ionizing radiation because they had depleted uranium ammunition in there. And some of the ailments that he was telling me about fit right into, you know, what you examine somebody for in order to develop a claim for them, you know? Yeah. And so I wanted him to get examined by one of the registries. Just like I want you guys to get examined for the burn pit registries or even you guys still fit in the Gulf War era as well, get into that registry that way you're getting fresh information not just from the VA but CDC and other resources that are lobbying and monitoring the potential you know long-term issues you know how this conversation actually started you know how do I feel at this age I look back at the shit that I was exposed to, man. I mean, as a private, I'm on Guam, and they're still using herbicide to clear foliage over there, but nobody's saying anything about that, right? Indeed. Yeah, and and then of course we're doing jungle patrols. You know, it's like triple canopy jungle over there, and and we're still spraying deed all over our asses while yeah. we're out there freaking doing our jungle patrol. You know? yeah, I, yeah, I
2: remember one field dot. We had some – they got rid of it while we were in, but I had a tube of this old shit. I don't know where I got it from. Probably one of my senior guys, but it was 100% indeed. It said, I put that shit on my face one night, sleeping in my little, you know, poncho liner out in the field just to keep mosquitoes off my face, and my lips swole up so big. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck did I just put on my face? But. <laughs> who knows what's that, in that yeah
0: some dsls yeah that's
2: it
3: if, if that was the only uh uh that was the only out uh uh
1: to have a senior moment
3: yeah seriously he's a little if, tired if, if that's the only uh uh thing that happened to you tyler with all that deed on your face, man, you got, you got away wait clean, clean. Yeah. Much, oh, you heck know what yeah. I'm saying? You know, well,
2: I, dude, I threw that shit. I didn't know anything about it. You know, I'm just like, Oh, this stuff Nobody works. Knows.
3: They don't tell you this shit. Yeah. Oh, you it know, works. It they don't working. tell you until 20, 30, 40 years later when there's this massive lawsuit that, yeah. you know, the class you action law class lawsuit that, you know, you see every other commercial, you see some law firm, You know, saying if you were exposed to this during this such and such time, you're, you know, there's a class action lawsuit. Contact us now because you can make a lot of
2: money. Right. Well, fuck. No, I don't
3: want the money, man. I want my health. Yeah. Money I can money I can get. I can't get better health if I've been fucked over.
2: Right. For sure you know weird there's a weird thing too with all that like the naivety at the time you know what you're willing to do and and go through is not until later on you're like fuck maybe that was a bad call
1: but it, it happened drive on it's all i can tell you because I, I remember they used to call it bug fuck <laughs> it came in Cody green <laughs> and it, this stuff i mean it was nasty You know, you could light fires with it and everything else like that, but they expected you to dodge your hair and face and any exposed surfaces with that shit. And I remember I kept volunteering to go out on the the jungle patrol, right? Because I I like messing around out there. And uh, I noticed after about three or four patrols, my skin was starting to come off. You oh, know? God. I was like, I better stop doing jungle patrols for a little while. So I went and saw, yeah, I went to go see the doc. And he was like, using that old bug fuck? And I said, yeah, you're not supposed to be using that shit anymore. You know? And uh, so he gave me, you know, some commercial spray, like Raid, or not Raid, but what's that song? <laughs> 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 oh, <fuck. laughs> So I used that instead. And, and, oh, fuck, that hurts. Yeah. And, and so uh, he, he also said, he goes, hey, you're going out there with your boots blouse too, right? I said, yeah. He goes, you know what you should do? Go down to the PX and uh, get some dog collars and put them around your, your ankles to keep the gnats and stuff from crawling up in your in your pants and shit like that, you know? And I was like, okay, I'll try that out. The next thing I know, I look like my, like my feet were going to come off, you know, because there's like this nasty rings around my ankles and stuff that was going right through the boot leather and shit. So yeah, I I've, I've tried a lot of stupid stuff, but then at the same time you don't know what you don't know. The vaccinations that we've had, you know, man. And then of course nowadays in the COVID environment, I don't know about you guys, but I still haven't done mine. I I don't have any plans to do them. You know, because of all those other vaccinations. Yeah. We had, uh Maybe they did keep me alive. I don't know. I don't know.
2: No, that's what I said. I said, man, all the shit we got shot up with, well, I'm probably good. I probably got the COVID vaccine there somewhere. I mean, you're talking about guys. I mean, we, guys. We I mean this is all that shit. That'd probably kill anything. Bro. Yeah. It was a joke, but you know, there was guys, it, we got all the anthrax. Like what it, What was it? Five or seven cycles of this anthrax vaccine. Yeah, like 10. We never came in contact with, but. There was guys joking about going to Raleigh and selling a testicle if they've had over (laughs) over five cycles of the anthrax. You know, it's like you're getting three hundred thousand dollars for a testicle if you've had the anthrax. And you know, I
1: yeah, who knows? I wonder how much we could get for you know testicle sweat. Yeah, (laughs) under those conditions, right there. You know, it's like like selling plasma or some shit, right? Yeah, yeah, but. What what was that, dude? I'll just sit in the sauna until my nuts start sweating, and then I bring that that sponge in here, and then uh, (laughs) get a couple ounces of that and and sell it for, you know, 100 bucks or something, man. Oh, you guys do draw blood and plasma too? (laughs) Shit, I'm going to walk out here with 300 bucks. (laughs) What was
3: that guy's name? Fucking... uh... And our detachment was going down doing the plasma thing, and got a bunch of other guys doing the same shit. Oh,
1: I remember the guys. They would do pushups in the in the ladder well. Yeah. That dude, I don't remember his name anymore. Freaking animal. Yeah. We we had a guy that would sell, you know, whatever he could sell if he could get away with it, you know. Right.
3: Anything for a buck, man. Yeah. You know. Hey, come on down. Give some plasma, and he gets like five or ten bucks for bringing a dude down. <laughs> yeah. Home.
1: Yeah. Like that.
3: <laughs> I don't want to keep my shit. Okay. Mm-mm. But I'd sell a nut for fucking $300,000.
1: So that, you know, in that context, I was doing uh, was training for the best ranger competition. And, uh, so there was this accident that happened. There was a bunch of paratroopers that were on green ramp, how this relates. I'll get to it in a second. And, uh, so there's a bunch of paratroopers on green ramp at Fort Bragg. Me and my partner are out doing, you know, the Prusik climb and doing rappelling and stuff like that on that given day, along with these, this other team. And, uh, and our, our, our coach is a guy named Bob Beiswinger. He'd been a two time best ranger competition winner. So we think we're going to at least be one or two some way, shape or form. Right. And, uh, this F-16 loses control, wings over, and hits the C C-141, destroys it. A bunch of people get hurt, a few die, crispy critters, shit like that. And so we, we got to take a little stand down. And so I, I use that to go get my serology so my physical is complete, so I can actually participate in the competition. And uh, so I walk from, from our office space over to Womack Army Hospital. I didn't know what the hell was going on that day. And there's all these people standing out in front of the, the hospital. I was like, hey, what's going on? And, you know, I, I kind of get to the curbside. I'm looking around, and uh, here comes this motorcade, and Bill Clinton jumps out. And I'm the, the dumbass that's standing right there. I was supposed to just go in there and get my blood and piss drawn. That that's day. Dumb. A force I'm, gun. I'm standing <laughs> there shaking hands with Bill Clinton. I'm like traitor holy fuck and I get back to the office of these guys what the fuck's wrong with you Walter? You know I we thought that you were a staunch conservative and all this stuff man I was just like I'm in place you know I'm, I'm burr but I'm not an advocate for this clown you know but how it how it fits into that context is is the fact that um even for the the, the training of special operations guys and infantry marines, we're looking for those those key things in the serology. You know, the, the black guys we're looking at sickle cell, we're looking at all these different effects. But we never get to read about what these vaccinations did to any of us across that you know the, the so racial right. lines. You know, yeah. what does it do to women, for that matter? Um, because they're they're integrated with us in combat operations now um everywhere africa afghanistan iraq you know and take a look at that link i sent you guys earlier today on on icasualties.org i don't know whether you guys have ever seen that before but the sheer numbers that are in there that have not been reported and it's a in my opinion it's a public affairs fiasco That we're just going to go ahead and put a blurb out on the internet, but we're not going to say jack shit in in mainstream media, you know, and so out of respect, I wanted to share that link with you guys so we don't forget that there's a resource out there with the names of our fallen brothers out there in unknown places on this planet that most of the 99.9% Americans don't give a damn about anymore. It was cool to them to watch it on TV and then learn how to play fucking PlayStation or Xbox games and think that they're real warriors and shit. And I'm just sitting here talking to three other guys that I know got the background and face that reality. And we're here in homage to memorialize these people. You know, it's just like that. the, The scenes in Saving Private Ryan with the old man. Overcome with emotion. And, you know, did I offer my family a good life? Did I lead a good life? That's dudes like these. These lists right here, I can tell you stories about every single one of them. That was my experience. Have you guys looked at the picture of all those Vietnam vets that I sent you? Think about that. You didn't hear anything about that in mainstream media, but it's happening all over the United States of America. The the organization that was charged with doing that in Colorado Springs was the Retired Enlisted Association. I'm sure you never heard of them either. They're national advocacy for uh, not just retired enlisted but all enlisted. You know, I never joined them, but I, I, I ran into some really great people that um, were advocates in that organization. And this example that I, I sent to you guys is an example of. DAV and another veteran service organization teaming up to do the right thing. These old dudes aren't going to be around forever and you know what they were treated like shit when they came home and I imagine that if we're treating that volume of casualties that we're seeing on eye casualties the same way we treated these people these Vietnam vets okay or just not saying anything at all is the same way that they treated Vietnam vets, and you know, both of you probably experienced it. That uh, trying to get into the VA system and get advocacy there, continuity for the most for the most part, um, is it, it's non-existent. I watched Jose and Michael Ramos walk into the the uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina, I was, I was down at the lab getting some blood one day, and they walked into the do You remember this, Jose? Oh, yeah. You guys walked in to get your ID cards, and they lied to you. Flat out fucking lied. When I just saw people get IDs, not less than an hour earlier, we were on their asses like stink on shit. And that's what I'm talking about. Accountability wherever you guys walk. Walk together and do this kind of stuff. I mean... I got suckered one day, I I was in uh, Austin, Texas, with Waheed Khan. And he says, uh, uh, yeah, I I, I gotta go in for a physical therapy thing, right? I didn't know I was walking into a a veterans group of just nothing but old Marines, you know? And it was a PTSD group. So I walk in there, that was fun to say the least. To listen to these guys work together and then the, 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 uh, the group leader had to tell everybody, guys, we don't know how long this is going to take, but COVID is a real thing and we're not going to be able to get together anymore. Wa, 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 you know, and they were sad. All of them. It was like, you took the wind out of their sails. This is one of the most important things they do on a weekly or a bi-monthly basis together, you know, and that was okay. Who's going to, go off the deep end next.
2: Yep.
1: It was funny around seven o'clock that night, the group leader called Wahid up and wanted to talk to me. I didn't say shit the whole entire time. And we started talking and he starts telling me about his Marine Corps experience. And he starts telling me the Johnny Puckett side of his life, how he went to prison, why he went to prison all this stuff. He was like confessing to me, you know, that, there was something he needed to get out of there, and while he's listening, he's like, "He never told us this shit." It's like, I don't know, he got a vibe for me, but we're talking. So,
0: this uh, this Saturday, a lot of us are getting together. Uh, some of us are getting together tomorrow, but I, I, for me, I think this is gonna be like the first time I see guys and over a decade that, uh, you know, when, when we invaded uh, Helmand Province, Afghanistan, and um, it's gonna be a cathartic moment, you know, we're gonna pay homage to those, those Marines that, you know, paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. Um, and, you know, if you could say anything to our generation, you know, give us something of substance, you know, something outside, you
1: know, the, the whole image BS. Yes, do, this then. do you both feel like you're confident men? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things they teach us in, in the special forces side of the house, just to break the ice is make eye contact, smile, listen, give them a wink of understanding, Shake hands. You know the deal. Show affection where it's acceptable. Because that's going to break the ice. There's going to be guys your age that, that are going to still be standing off. They're going to want to be flies on the wall to watch it instead of participating in it. And if you guys are expecting to be leaders of, of this group and, and bring them into the full, those are the guys, just like I saw you, at the standout. I was up there playing guitar, doing my thing and just kind of circulating the crowd. But I, you guys stood out. And that's when I asked Frank, I said, who are those guys? Oh, that's a couple of Marines there. <laughs> okay. Like, was that an insult or what was that, Frank? You know, and <laughs> Frank loves Marines, but, you know, Frank's a Coast Guardsman. And uh, so that's why I approached you. Because I could tell you're just emitting this intensity of, That I could feel anger, you know, and what the fuck am I doing here, you know, kind of thing. Because if they committed, if your friends, okay, your brothers commit to coming to this thing, open arms. There's so many ways to do it. Yeah.
3: Let them know that they are a part of a brotherhood, let them know that they belong be sincere and honest and eventually
1: they'll open up. You know, I, I mean, if you remember going out to the farm, some of the, the guys that maybe went out there once or whatever, it, it may have been a little bit overwhelming for them and they had to think about it. But believe me, I was making follow-up phone calls just to see if there was still any interest there afterwards. You know, you and Jonathan, that's it. You know, and it's not that I forced Colton and river to participate, but I thought it was essential that they get to meet you, get to see other warriors and get to learn from you a little bit like uncles or whatever. So, yeah, I I go with a family model too, you know, and that goes back to that example about that platoon, knowing that I had the responsibility of, um, bringing their son home or they're they've got kids and they're young and you know, that the wife is fairly ignorant of stuff. And, uh, you know, except the fact that your job is welfare of the troops, it doesn't mean become the de facto first sergeant or any of that kind of stuff. But what it does mean is that you guys have taken years of your life, to learn more and more and more on how to be better men, be confident men. And, um, you know, just feel like you got more to offer these guys now, you know, and you do, and you're going to blow their minds because everybody that I've spoken to that has gone to this channel and listened to your guys' dialogue has said, holy shit. Have you, have you listened to all these? And I said, most of them, and they're like, they're different every time. So, well, there's, there's a common thread in there, but you got to listen for it, you know, and people will go back and they'll listen again, and, and so that's what I try to do with this, you know, it, it's essential for us to demonstrate and, and set the example for other people that, you know, we're trying our best. A multi-generational way of doing business We're talking about relevant stuff If you're hurting Call us You know I mean I've been working on a guy for Shoot 18 months You know And this was a a senior staff NCO You know And uh, I don't know I don't know which way he wants to go Very intelligent, but the more he does not add into his wellness recovery action plan, the more I see he suffers. You know, does that make him a candidate for, you know, surveillance of possible suicide? I think so. You know, and you and I have talked about that, and you've probably done that much more clinically than I have, you know. I'd like to learn about some of those examples and, and, um, you know, we have a friend here in California who multi-generational mental health workers at the state hospital level. And we hear some just heinous stories of, uh, things that they've experienced, you know, and that's too far for me. I, I wouldn't go that far. You know, I'm the street preacher or whatever you want to call me. What comes down to that, but if if you show me you got goals and you want that mentorship, I'll help you with that stuff. I mean, you're going to be doing the heavy lifting, but I'll be that, you know, that little angel, not the little devil on your shoulders going, you got this, you got this. You know, and maybe that's all all the nudge you need right there. But, yeah, you know, if if you're going into this situation, how is this organized, by the way?
0: Was it Dale, I think, put together? Dale, the family resource officer.
2: Um, yeah, and- the the battalion's doing it. It's the unit, two aides holding a, a Memorial Day event. And I don't know if other battalions or anything are doing something similar, but um, I actually emailed the, the family readiness officer a little bit about it just to see what was I mean, it's, it's a legitimate event at the, the barracks or whatever where they have the memorial and, and everything. They're gonna have food and chow and family and friends, whoever, whoever's welcome, pretty much, you mm-hmm. know, if if they're connected to a service member or whatnot, they're
1: welcome. That, see, home. that's another essential thing as well. Um get the get the families of the fallen to participate because they need to hear stories too. They need to know, not necessarily, you know, why they're they're minus a family member, but they probably received letters with your names in there. It's good to identify yourself. I mean, you know, when you look at this list that I sent you guys, Deion Stevenson stands out amongst them. What does Deion Stevenson stand out to me? This was a guy like you. Young, super fucking talented, and he just wouldn't do the right thing at the right time, you know. And so he got kicked out of force and sent over to 1-9, and he was vaporized. Uh, during the, the Battle of Al-Khakti, fratricide incident, A-10 hit him with a uh, um, with a Hellfire missile.
0: Mm.
1: Now, but he came from a family of warriors. His father was a Marine of Vietnam, went on to become a, a, a Special Forces soldier. His brother followed him into the Marine Corps. I, went, I actually attended his brother's uh, SOY. um Graduation. Matter of fact, our entire platoon went to that, and uh, Dean made it into the first recon battalion. And ironically, I was on the USS Tarawa when when Dion was killed. And uh, a friend of mine, a uh, fire direction center chief, artillery doubled up as the ship's barber, and uh, he came to me. He said, "Hey, there was some. There was a recon marine on here today. Do you know a guy named Dean?" I said. I just didn't know, because it slipped my mind. It was just a brief moment in my life, and I'd never done anything with the guy ever since his graduation, you know? Come to find out later, it was Dean Stevenson bringing his, his brother's body home, or what was left of him, You know, And the commandant of the Marine Corps at the time was uh, uh, Al Gray. Al Gray, um, you'll see in those pictures, a guy named Evan Chang I sent you a later email Evan and I got promoted on the same day Al, under Al Gray and not only that we met Al Gray at uh at Swick a few years later after he had retired and remembered us real interesting thing but why I bring that up is that Al Gray was there to meet the body when it got there in uh Delaware I guess and uh Told the family if there's anything I could do, and told the marine if there's anything I could do for you, let me know. And so, I guess a couple of years later, Dean finally decided, you know, I'm going to go to Annapolis. I want to go to Annapolis, and it's like you guys ever watched that movie Rudy, yeah, football movie. He was like Rudy, you know, the Rudy of of Annapolis. At the time, he was like the, one of the smallest guys on the team, but he was the one that just you know, he, he ran herd. He was that sheepdog that was just kicking ass all day long, setting the example and getting guys to follow, you know, and, and excel to their potential. And I think you guys are in that realm right now in your lives where accept that responsibility, show that passion, that thumos. And, uh, it'll be, um, just like Velcro. They'll want to stick to you, you know, it's just like moths to light and, uh, you got to identify it, do it with sincerity, with real sincerity, too. You know, there's another uh, group out there to the Marine recourse. Uh, Lieutenant General, or maybe he's a four star up in Pennsylvania. And, you know, the thing that they operate off of, they've got older guys like us that, that are the instructors and the mentors and stuff like that. It's genuine concern. You got to explore those terms, genuine concern. What is that? What does that mean? Well, he's been hurt over these past three weeks, okay? There's not a thing I wouldn't do for him I wouldn't do for myself, okay? And I'm gonna neglect myself, and I'm used to doing that. I'm probably gonna neglect him too. So if I treat myself well, okay, and it's easy for me to do, it's not hard for me to take care of my friend. That's them. They're gonna be around you. And you guys are gonna emit that energy, they're going to feel it when they see you. So use that um, to reel them in. Because, you know, you don't want them just kind of drifting off into space again. Get those get those email addresses and every once in a while put something motivating out. Put all their names in the two line. Fuck putting them in the, you know, BCC line. That way guys can see... Who's who in this right here? Oh, I know that dude, I know that guy, I know that guy. You know, I'm, I'm part of this group, you know, in an electronic kind of way, it just shows that the herd's still together. That's why I do it the way I do. A lot of people don't like it and, and so no big deal. You know, I've got one friend up in New Hampshire. He's like the keeper of the keys to the entire reconnaissance community. and He never open sends anything anybody but what i sent you guys about you know memorial day with a uh, the marine corps commandant's message and stuff like that i thought it was appropriate because you know it, it covered multiple generations it, and it showed diversity you know showed all those things that all these idiots in portland and fucking seattle and chicago and all that stuff were making asses out of themselves to the entire planet whereas there's a quiet bunch of professionals in Army Special Forces and in the Marine Corps that are just doing their jobs. Okay? And they're showing that diversity out there. Genuine concern for the planet and each other. You know? And that's a winning team right there. That's winning. That's what winning looks like. You guys are winners. You know? And you know how hard it is to get to be a winner. You got to work that. What's the old saying Uh, about talent and hard work? Hard work beats talent when, when talent doesn't work hard, right? You guys got that, okay? Never let loose that shit, never. You know, you're gonna get to a point where you're gonna feel comfortable about things. That's when you really gotta reflect and take a look and say, what else could I be doing? Back to realistic goals again, right? That's how it comes down to. And so, yeah, you'll cycle through. But these guys might be stuck in a cycle. And that's why I recommend, you know, reading Jonathan Shea's books, uh, Achilles in Vietnam, but, of course, um, Odysseus in America, because there's, there's some anecdote that's in there that talks about these cycles that guys get stuck in. In their, you know, hope to come home. And some of them have never even had a home. So they got to recognize what that might potentially be like. And Jose, you're one of those guys that, you know, you grew up kind of rough like me, but at the same time, you always had that desire to have a home. Look at you now. That's success. You're probably the same way, Tyler. I I don't know you... Or that much about your background and stuff. But it sounds to me like you guys are doing all the right things, you know. And I don't know if you'd ever invite some of these people into your home. Or maybe it's just easier to figure out. Um, here's what we got in common. And that's it. And sometimes it's all there is. You know, but the genuine concern thing, hey, maybe I can help you. Would you like to get on our newsletter? Do you have something to say? Maybe we can get you on, you know, podcast or something, and you could talk about your experience or whatever. But those are the essentials to making feel somebody somebody feeling important, important enough to want to continue to survive and, and uh, you know feel like uh, they've got something valuable to share. You know, once they feel that, guess what? You're you're growing something. But, you know, essentially you can't guide it the rest of your life. You got to go on with your thing too. And it's going to inflect sooner or later. Or just like what we're doing, we will get back together with each other frequently just to check in. Because that's the lifestyle that we decided that we're going to do in communication with each other. And of course, now we're learning the value of, of just conventional stuff like what is Easter? What is a birthday? Okay. Um, what do I believe the Memorial Day is about? Fourth of July, Labor Day. There, there's so many places that we can look at that we've all experienced in some way, shape, or form instead of great. I got a three day weekend and I'm going to, you know,
3: party my ass,
1: barbecue and act like an asshole. You know, we're searching for something a little bit deeper in our lives. And I sense that um, that's what you guys are looking for. I don't have all the answers, you know, and that's why even at our age, I'm still looking at what were the, what were the mistakes you made going this far? I don't ask about their successes. I ask about the mistakes, you know, did I take a second mortgage at the right time? Um, did I just milk all the equity out of my Home property and stuff like that Just so I could do something stupid um, Those are questions you got to ask yourself But those are milestones across your life Where you guys are at right now You may not live in the same house the rest of your life Or maybe it's the smartest thing you could ever do Who knows I had my big house Now I live in a little Two bedroom house. On a dusty old ranch, but i've I've been used to rucking up and going someplace every eighteen months or every three years or whatever. and so i'm I'm okay with change. what I, what, what I don't like is that there's young guys like yourselves that still need help understanding what change is all about. And that's where personal growth lies.
3: Passing
2: on the wisdom, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that, uh, <clears throat> something that I've kind of, you know, I don't know if Jose explained to you kind of how this all f- came and fell into place. I know he's been working on different approaches on on this the, this subject here for a while, but he basically posted something on Instagram, and it was a little bit about something he hated about being in Afghanistan. It was going to the schools and and you know seeing the kids when they when they would hold whatever their conventions were to pay people or you know address the local population, they would hold an event in one of the schools there, and you would see the kids and he he hated doing this I mean, I'm sure I'm just summarizing what you what you said in the post, and it was he hated seeing it because he didn't real- like he he realized that the kids didn't even realize that they had no future, their lives were already over, but he could see it. And he posted something little, something he wrote up and I just commented to him. I hadn't talked to him in in a while other than just a few, you know, interactions. And I just said, I'm proud of you, man. You know? And he messaged me and he said, Hey man, you want to come talk to me? You know, we'll record it. Whatever. I said, whatever. Yeah. Whatever conversation led, to what it did. And then it just continued to be this thing that we're doing. And You know, I said to my wife, i said to her several times since then, I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know how I can help. Like, how, how can I help? Like, this is not necessarily my mission. I'm just, I'm just on the team and I'm following what he wants to do. And I said, you know what, last night I was telling her, I said, you know what, I was like, I, I like this. I like doing this. And I said, because you, when you get guys to come on here and talk, you get them to share things that they may not ever be able to share in their life. Mm -hmm. Again, whether, whether it's because they want to, or they don't feel like the the need to share it or, but they may never tell the story that they might tell to us on here ever in their life. If they don't do it.
1: Yeah. Posterity. You know, that's one of the things that the author, um, uh, H John Poole, has told Jose and myself, you got to tell your story. You guys have more institutional knowledge than the fucking officers do. Well, that, that's great encouragement and stuff like that, but they run stuff at their level and we do things at our level the way we do things over and over and over and over and over again. And in the midst of it, we have experiences. Some of them are funny, some of them are just ridiculously hardcore uh, and all that stuff. And, you know, i had explained to Philip before, one of the things I, I loved about post deployment in the Marine Corps methodology now was everybody's forced into like group therapy and you got to tell part of your story. Okay. And you can't just say, I'm, I'm waiting for Libo or I'm waiting for leave or I'm waiting for EAS because I'm never going to do this shit again. And you keep it to yourself the rest of your life, but you know, that shit's stewing. And you got to find a brother or a sister that can understand that. And what was really kind of funny for me, I'm working in in physical therapy in Colorado Springs. And uh, there was a, a female soldier that had come in who was in Ramadi about the same time I was in 2005 and she'd gotten blasted. I heard about it. She was a truck driver, gotten blasted. And guess what? She's my patient now. And she's still severely injured. And this is, geez, what was that? 2016? Yeah. 2016, 2017, 2017. You well, know? 13 years later. Yeah. You know, and my boss is sitting here listening to the two of us talk about the place and it's really having an impact. So I get used as a technician every time she, she would come in just because of, of opening her up because she would come in there just all tensed out and, and just not having done home exercise you know, and and things like that, because she just didn't want to, you know, but to be able to talk with another veteran, get her opened and relaxed, made it so much easier for the actual physical therapy doctor to do their job and get this person some stability for a week or two. And uh, then, of course, then they started to use me more frequently in all three of the other clinics, because I had that, you know, shared experience, so to speak, with the other veterans that would come in there. You know, some of them were special forces. Some of them were, you know, straight leg soldiers. Some of them were airmen, you know, but a whole host of different types of people with different types of experiences on how they got those injuries. And that gave me more experience too, as as a physical therapy, you know, professional to, I got something unique to share inside this practice, which is cool you know 3 weeks ago my old boss called me up well, about a month right no,
3: it was, it was right before you,
1: yeah right before you got out here yeah. kevin calls me up and says you want your old job back i'll, I'll pay for you to go you know to uh, school and get your your physical therapy assistant uh, certification it'd, it'd be another associate's degree you know but it also include a license to be able to practice that stuff you know i got a lot of joy out of practicing practicing Medicine within that realm, you know, and I encourage you guys to think about that, too, because um, hardest thing for for men to do is, is be vulnerable. What you did by sharing that with your wife the other day, the other night is that or, or when you decided to participate in what we're doing right now is that you showed a vulnerability because you missed it, you missed the camaraderie. And all that stuff. Yeah. No shit. Every day of my life. Yeah. That's where I grew up. From 18 years old until I was 46 years old. That was in the Marine Corps. I didn't want to do anything else. You know? And I don't know. Maybe it's just the way I was brought up. I don't know. But... That model right there, that's one. Find with that template how it fits you. Okay. Find find those those parameters that you know you can operate within that. And then work your your peer support piece from that direction with people that you know that, you know, I'm I don't know where I'm going. You know, when we uh, put together the Thumos project. It was all about creating what we call the transitional bridge, you know. Because the way I felt when I I was retired, I didn't get the fanfare that most senior staff NCOs get. They were just like, "Get the fuck out of here, Mosher. Take your shit and get," you know, that kind of thing. And case in point, that distributed operations uh, uh, thing, I had submitted it already. To Marine Corps Gazette, i already been published by Marine Corps Gazette several times before that. But this one came back to the two MEF security officers at the, at the three-star level for me to be questioned. And there was, I'm sure you could see that there was nothing in there that was sensitive. No. Nothing. I'm, I'm speaking from experience within a doctrinal publication and how I experienced it and practiced it. That's, that's what I said in that article. Right. But this guy's asking me, where do you get off? You know, writing stuff like that. You got lieutenant colonels and, and officers getting away with it without being scrutinized. Why can't I? You know, I'm doing this for the benefit of the of the entire force to yeah. give an example, you know, and I think that's what you guys are doing as well. Is that from the positions you can integrate yourselves together you're going to have great impact on guys that are interested in what you're doing. Um, do you guys have any kind of like leaflets or business cards or anything else like that, that you can hand out during this event? I
2: don't know. No, I don't know. have anything tangible like that, but I mean, most of the guys, it's really just unit guys that kind of know what we're doing here, but you know, obviously having outreaching uh, individuals like yourself, you know, it helps spread spread the word for us. Maybe we can get into something like that. That
1: Yeah, and the reason why I bring it up, you know, from strictly from a rapport building or marketing perspective as well, I know you guys use, you know, a lot of social media platforms and, and, you know, electronic means of communication, but to give them something physical, okay, you don't know how they're going to respond with that. That just might mean a hell of a lot more a you know, physical manifestation than trying to interact virtually. That I came to you, I shook your hand, I gave you my business card.
3: Yeah, because... Uh, I
1: want you to call me.
3: Because, uh, you know, they may not open up that day that you see them. But when you give them that, you know, that plants a seed. And at some point, they know they can reach out because you've given them something. You know, and they may come back and ask you after the fact hey and that's okay you've done your job you've helped helped out a a fellow marine or whomever and uh you know that's the goal right so it's just another tool that you can use to help reach somebody let's say it's one one guy out of 10 guys Hmm. that are standing in the background you know uh, what am I doing here? But you reach one guy, man. Isn't one guy worth it? Or one person worth it? You know? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So,
3: you know, hey, you got a couple of, what? When's, when's the party? Tomorrow, Saturday? I, I've lost track of days, man. I think, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just, an, it's, it's another day. It's a better day today than yesterday. And tomorrow's going to be a better day than today. Yeah. Okay. And uh but you got some time. It doesn't have to be fancy. Put something together. You guys are both smart. You're capable. Put something together. Say, "Okay, we're going with this, but next time you're going to be better prepared." Hey. One one more one more guy, one more one more person within the fold is one more and how many more people will that one person bring into the fold? Because that's what they need.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Build, build the force. You know, um, what I was visualizing while he was talking, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, that, that obscure tavern where Mel Gibson walks into, you know, in the Patriot. <laughs> talking shit to these guys, and all of a sudden you see hatchets and knives and shit hit the door. God bless right? King George. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do something like that. Just just you don't have to be over the top controversial. I know that you know there's a, a, a solemn aspect to Memorial Day, but you know, um using a sense of humor with these guys just to get them opened up and, and just get them just a slightly smile. That might be something that they haven't done in a long time, probably since the last time they saw you. In some cases.
3: Hey, you want to break the ice? Tell them some good fart fucking jokes,
1: (laughs) man. Well,
3: we go, we go from time to time, man, and (laughs) you know, if he started doing that now, I'd be in so much fucking
1: pain. (laughs) I mean, this idiot—he's now he's got a colostomy bag like a super old man, right? (laughs) So he's got to clear that thing out. And he sends me a picture of what the, the contents are. And I look at it and I go, holy shit, that looks like a, a bald alien with a cat face. <laughs> you know, And I, I get back in a text. Fuck you. I can't laugh that hard. I was like, stop sending <laughs> pictures then. You know, and just to reinforce, I, I, I got dominance. I started talking about uh, Master Sergeant Tom Clark who send out this picture of, of, he goes, oh, look at this. This turd looks like a, an old Indian woman wrapped in a blanket, you know? And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, what's up with you guys, man? But I mean, Fuck. That's, that's the Marine Corps way. But genuine concern, it, it has a spectrum. There is no doubt about it. You know, you can't handhold somebody that doesn't want your help. You, you just can't because you, you take on the role of, okay, Two heads are better than one. What do you think? You know, it's just like trying to talk to your family. Hey, we're gonna go out for dinner tonight. Who wants to who want where do you guys want to go? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, and then you make a decision and everybody's still grumbling about it. <laughs> They'll eat it because they don't have to pay for it, right? So, you know, that's how I look at people in general. And I, I think, you know, Philip is right. You can if you snag one. Each that day, that's a coup right there, man. You pulled off, you know, a big time thing. Um, don't hang your hat on it because they may never call. But that, but if that's your gen your general practice in marketing, the 3 double X aspect, you know, do it. You know, even if you don't expect to make a lot of money, just like we talked about, Carver, we're, we're gonna do it regardless and i'll send you our sizzle and you take a look at it i want your feedback yeah and and i'll I'll send you the survey too so you can take a look at it because i i I really value what you guys have to say in in feedback hey tyler yes sir
3: have your wife take the survey
2: yeah
1: okay
3: you can look at it you can submit one and do that but you know we want your wife to take the survey okay all right she's going to have a different perspective than you are and you know being military i know this shit 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 shit. yeah okay no i don't know this but you lie okay um and there's a reason behind having your wife do it because we we realize that we're going to get better feedback yeah, um, we're going to get a different viewpoint and a different feedback, which will help us
1: design it. Design for you.
3: Yes. and modify and make it better for our customer.
1: And, and that means our general output has to be modified to meet the times. But not only that, we'll be able to get a common picture on how to present to you and your family. Yeah, you know, for the benefit of your wife, you. Open up your communication. Integrate your ideas a little bit more effectively from the point of view of safety, security, and survival. You know, we've also got another product that is a uh, a travel safety plan, and we really believe that that's essential nowadays too. Because the world has changed, just like it did after nine eleven. You know, did we make it more dangerous as a result, or did we make it a little safer for a little while longer? I don't know. I mean. I, I think of the opening scenes of Team America, and it doesn't look that way. It kind of looks that way now. You know, burka-durka, Mohammed Jihad. <laughs> you know, it's happening again in, in the Gaza Strip. And, uh, you know, you got Americans traipsing around here, and, and let's bash the Semites. Let's do this. Let's do that. And, wow, bummer. Again, here we go. And what does that do? This thing is growing. It's metastasizing all over the place. And it's making it dangerous for Americans to go anywhere. You know, and so I worry about that. And I I think our timing is, is, you know, spot on at this point. But then there's the behavioral health piece too, Jose, where if people do experience something over the top, where do I send them? You know, And, and you're, it's going to be you. I'm going to say, Hey, um, I don't have the answers to that, but I do have an adept colleague that does understand these things and has a methodology. that might be beneficial for you.
0: Yeah. Set the baseline, show them how to read the baseline and move forward.